Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 308. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? Connor's not here this week, which nope. we expected. Uh, work schedules. He's on vacation next week, so he's definitely missing next week as well. Uh, he's going to an undisclosed location. He's not here because he knows what's good for him. I say undisclosed. They told me where he was going, and I don't remember. It was, <laughs> it was uh, somewhere that did not require a vaccination status. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, filthy ginger. <laughs> because he's too scared of needles. Uh, so, uh, I'm I'm looking at getting a, a second booster, and he hasn't even gotten one. <laughs> he got the initial. What a. Yeah, I don't even know when, when, uh, like when they're rolling out second boosters here. If they're even bothering, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to find out. I got, I got, I got my booster back in like what January? I got that. Yeah, so. yeah, because I got my booster back in December. I did it the same day as I got my flu shot, which there you go. <laughs> I don't recommend doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oh. ju- just to reiterate, before he gets uh, all the, all the bad tweets about him, uh, there's not a, some sort of weird belief or political no. statement. He is just terrified of needles, uh, and refuses to do it as a result. Uh, and has paid He's, the price. Wait, might we yeah. add? He has. He has yes, had he has. it. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, well, I was vaccinated. I had it too back in October. I, I bet. But... I bet you. I bet he had the worst time though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, mine was very mild, and outside of the first two days, where I thought it was just really bad allergies. Um, I was just having to, to be quarantined by myself, and that sucked. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I said uh, Connor, Connor being quarantined from everyone else is a good thing for everyone yeah, else. So I mean, Connor, the best at being the worst. This is a DC Comics podcast, believe it or not. Uh, coming up on this week's show, we will be talking about Shadow War Omega issue mm-hmm. one, Justice League: The Road to Dark Crisis issue one. Action Comics Annual 2022, and the Nice House in the Lake issue 9+. Plus, I have a Patreon book. I'll be talking about American Vampire issue 26, uh, with uh, Animal Man coming next week. I decided to spread them out. I could have done them both this week, yeah. but I, th- I thought I'll spread them out. Uh, yeah. I didn't look ahead to see how many books were next week, so at the end of this show, when I see how many books there are, maybe I'll yeah, regret that decision. Uh, but uh... <laughs> yeah. me, me not being on here, and, and with all the, the stuff that happened last weekend, yes. and I was just in bliss until Wednesday... Uh, when I went to get my books at the shop, I was like, oh, this, this is it. Yeah, week okay. five. Yeah, this, yeah. You know, this week yep, five. It's just... Didn't realize it. And then, uh, yeah. That's good. That's a good point, because you wouldn't have heard what was coming out this week, because nope. you weren't here last week. Yeah, that's right. I did, and, and I didn't check. I was just rolling with it. So Yeah. Um, Actually, question on last week's books. Did you read Batman Fortress? I did not. Okay, that's a shame. Yeah. Because I was curious as to what you thought. Uh, you know, I I have it. I just haven't read it. So. Yeah. By the yeah. end of it, I really did not like it. But uh, oh boy, that gives me all the incentive. Um, I was not a fan of much of the narration and dialogue. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. because uh, everyone got to hear me rant about it last week. Yeah, uh, I I read that it was a um the most Batman book that has ever Batmaned, and it wasn't a compliment. It's, uh, I mean, when you feel the need to bring up Crime Alley, uh, <laughs> for no reason. Uh, 
For no reason. Yeah. There's no reason for it. It's just it's like two pages with like Crime Alley always makes me think of things. Batman and I've got inner turmoil. Yep, well uh Pete uh thanks for dodging or thanks <laughs> for taking that bullet so I didn't have to dodge it. Uh oh, you still paid for the that. bullet. <laughs> yeah. I will return that book to my shop <laughs> for store credit. Because uh, looking at this next week, it is pretty busy. Uh, uh, so. oh, don't say that, Matt. All right, I'll find out at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that is what's coming up on the week's show. So, yeah, later fifth week. Uh, I mean, obviously, most of the books I read were longer, <laughs> if that makes any consolation yeah. to anyone. Yeah, I mean, but... uh, two, two of them. Uh, Omega was, but it didn't feel like it. And then Nice House is pretty standard. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I will say... Um, people may be wondering, like we both read Batman. Why? Why isn't Batman Annual on this list? <laughs> it's because uh, last week we were going through it, and uh, Connor pointed out that it was a Ghostmaker Batman Inc. story, and I went, "Well, I think I'm not reading that then." Uh, noped out. So uh, yeah, I I messaged Pete uh, in the lead up because we we're recording a day early, uh, because of things and. I said, hey, I'm only half through Batman uh, annual. And I get a message. He's like, that's okay. It's Ghostmaker. I was out. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. So uh, I, it wasn't, I, I will say the half that I read, it wasn't terrible because it is Batman Inc. But God, no matter who's writing him, Ghostmaker is insufferable. And I <laughs> understand that's kind of the point, but yeah. Oof. So not for us. That's just, no, nah, not, not for, for me. Uh, so yes, but don't worry, there's always time for a Comixology Top 10. Okay, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> I feel I've, I've been gradually shifted into like saying it a certain way over yeah. time. It's, it's, it's reaching some sort of breaking point. Uh, I wasn't really going for Tommy Wiseau, but if that's how it's coming out, I ain't going to Yeah, it's coming out just with the, there's this, there's this high, you get up to high and then it drops real quick. Um, like I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, DC didn't do so hot last week on the top ten when Uh-oh. we recorded. Uh, but this week at the time of recording on a Friday, um, I will say that they're doing not bad. They have the top three spots. So, oh, Matt, good. what do you think number one is? Uh, Batman Annual, because I'm not stupid. That is incorrect. Oh, yeah, I am stupid. Uh, road to <laughs> well, I meant your guess was wrong, but I suppose technically yes, it also means you're incorrect and in that you said yeah. you're not stupid. <laughs> right. uh, then I'm gonna go the road to crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's number one. Uh, tied into the big event coming up, so I guess that makes some sense. Uh, number two is Shadow War Omega, which is wrapping up the current crossover. Uh, which is very Bat-related, but obviously not just Batman. Uh, number three is Batman Annual 2022, uh, so is. not bad all things. Number four is Knights of X, issue two. And then number five is back to DC with Action Comics 2022 Annual. So uh, DC doing pretty well with four out of the top five on the, uh, the top ten here. Uh, obviously, there's not a lot of DC books left, so you wouldn't expect much more in the top ten. <laughs> uh, number six is Darth Vader. Issue uh, let me let me twenty three. Twenty three. There you go. Yep, uh, it. It's cut off. The title's too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Avengers Forever issue six is then number seven. Number eight is Strange issue three, uh, which 
given the font, it looks like it's Doctor Strange related, but perhaps without Doctor Strange himself. Yeah, so just recently, Doctor Strange died. Um, and so I, I oh. feel like this is them going through trying to find a new Strange or a new um, a uh, Sorcerer Supreme, rather. So oh, yeah, that's Clea on the cover. So it looks like his wife is taking over from an alternate reality. What a shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number nine... I'm not entirely sure what this is. Uh, clearly, it's a an X Men like sort of mm-hmm. book based on the the cartoon, but it's X Men ninety two House of ninety two. Yeah, uh, and I had to think about it because the second ninety two is in Roman numerals, and I'm like, I think that's just ninety two, but I have to think we, about we it. We did that last month, and I had to go through the Google for how to read the Roman numerals properly. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, because fifty's L right and C's a hundred. Yes. But that's okay. I'm right there. It's dated <laughs> Yeah, it is. And so, to me, uh, I get that you want the X-Men 92 in there to reference it, but you couldn't just call it X-Men House of 92? But You have to do X-Men 92 House of 92? I don't know. Seems redundant. Because well, because you get to see 92, but have an X in it. <laughs> so, I, so, that's I why you do it. You're not saying House of X-E-I-I. Yeah. yeah, I mean Roman numerals do get stupid at a point because it's like yeah. it's X C I I, and that's like ten before a hundred plus two. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's that's just a waste of time having to say it yeah. like that. That's just that's yeah. nonsense. Um, does look good on a on a poster though. I'll say that Roman numerals yeah. look good on a movie title. Well, uh, yeah, on on a movie title that'll that'll be because you're just using that you know number. So you know, and or then when you get up to Jason, you know Jason X. It's not mm. just Jason Ten, you know. It's you're having fun with the title. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, and at number ten, we're back to DC with Nice House in the Lake issue nine. So, oh, good. So that is cool. Uh, yeah, and that's basically. Usually, I'll go down and say, "Oh, here's the rest of the DC books." Uh, the the Beyond the White Knight book is at number fourteen, and I is that the last DC book? Guess there's not really much else. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the next DC book is actually the Superman Son of Kal-El trade, which is at number 20. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good for it. But you can tell there's less books out in a week five when you get uh, trades popping up. They aren't on sale, yeah. you know. If I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. I'm pretty sure, yeah, this only counts new releases. So unlike what Comixology used to do, where when there was a sale, sometimes it'd, it'd infect all the, the top ten. Uh, that doesn't happen on this because it only counts stuff released this week. So, so that's a new trade, obviously. So, 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 what number did that come in at? Uh, number, oh, sorry, twenty-five. I said twenty, twenty-five. Okay. Well, that's still a pretty good showing for a trade, right? Oh yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, the only trade that's also on this top uh, thirty on the front page mm-hmm. is at number twenty-nine, and that is Deadly Class Volume Eleven. Oh, damn. So. Yeah, it's gotten up there. But yeah, there you go. That's the Comicsology Top 10 for the week. Uh, you're all welcome. I know you all enjoy it and love it and cherish it dearly. Sure. I know you don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, numbers are dumb. Ah. Ah, it's only the universal language that makes physics and chemistry and everything else possible and everything you like is only possible because of numbers but yeah numbers are dumb yeah numbers are dumb right <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, don't, 
I don't care that they're responsible for the algorithm. I don't have to think about that stuff. They're, they're responsible for comics being able to be printed on paper with ink. All of that's all numbers. All right, I don't want to think about this, all right? <laughs> Movies are all digital code. They're all numbers. You know, I don't like it. Cameras need numbers to be engineered. Does it, it's, all, it's all numbers. <laughs> numbers are dumb. I'm going to maintain it. <laughs> and if we ever encounter an alien species, an intelligent alien species, ultimately numbers will be how we communicate with them because... I saw Arrival. I know. <laughs> uh, that was a documentary, right? I love how you go to Arrival, but you don't go to uh, the Spielberg movie you could go to. And, and... Uh, because that was more music than numbers, right? But even music is still numbers, though. That's why music translates. No, I understand that, but my brain immediately goes to Amy Adams making the shapes, you know, based off of tetrahedrons and whatever. I don't even think I use that word right, because numbers are dumb. Yeah, <laughs> tetrahedrons like a, like a 10 or 12-sided shape, I think? Yeah, something. I just remember them making those circles and getting super sad through parts of that movie. Because uh, Villeneuve's a really good filmmaker. Uh, and he made me care, care about these aliens. So, hmm. you know? So, you know, when they're sad, I'm sad. We're off to a, a winning start here. I, su I suggest we just get into the books. Yeah, we, we should. I mean, I'm, I am still punchy from the events of, of Sunday. Um, so... It's been it's been a whole five days. What were the so events of Sunday, Matt? The audience um, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, Double or Nothing, uh, the AEW show, was live here in Vegas, uh, headlined by CM Punk and Heyman Adam Page. As many of you know, well, maybe some of you don't know, CM Punk's my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, and, and Vegas is my hometown, so of course I was there to see CM Punk win the title, which it, it talked to Pete. I was convinced he wasn't winning. Like, there was no way uh, in, in our weekly wrestling chats. Mm, yeah, I didn't think he was winning either. But... Yeah, and, and so when it, when it happened and I was in the building and, you know, still doesn't feel real because my teams, my favorites, never win. And if they do, it never, you know, it's never a long run. So, mm. you know, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. I was yeah. up watching that four-and-a-half-hour monstrosity <laughs> as well. Uh, monstrosity. <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, I thought the middle of the show was a bit dull. Uh, the last like four matches really turned it around. Uh, yeah. It's been a very busy week though, because uh, last weekend I had Stranger Things to to watch and review. So I I watched yeah. all seven episodes of that. Uh, obviously, there's still two left of the season, but it's been a very good season uh, by and large so far. And then this weekend, I've only watched one so far, but the first three episodes of The Boys season three mm. dropped, uh, which. Also kind of a big deal. And I will say the first episode, Dead... Yeah, but the boys does these ridiculous over-the-top, like, either gory or raunchy things. Mm -hmm. It's topped everything it's ever done in the first 10 minutes of its first episode. Oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> you will never think of a penis the same way again. No, probably not. <laughs> I don't even need the context, but you're right. You know what? I'm going to concede this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, the only thing I didn't get to last week that I wanted to was to start Stranger Things. And surprisingly, I've made it a week. Uh, and I'm going to knock on wood here. Unspoiled. I have zero outside of seeing some 
things about a Kate Bush song and something about running uphill. I am I mean, that, that is the Kate Bush song. That's what it's called. Okay. Uh, the... so, so, so there we go. Um, so you've heard. So you really only heard one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so nothing about the story except that it leans very horror, which judging from the trailer that I saw, I would expect. So um, we're we're gonna jump in. Um, so uh, probably this weekend. I was gonna. I tried to start it last night, but. The wife said, "I don't, I don't want to pay attention to things right now." I mean, if if season two was a bit more aliens and season three was mm-hmm. a bit more, you know, giant monster or whatever, mm-hmm. season four is a bit more. I've I've heard comparisons to the thing in the horror. Um, that's not that's not what I'd go to at all. I don't know where you're getting that oof. from. Uh, I would say, Dream Warriors. <laughs> okay, puppet people, I'm here. <laughs> well, they're not puppet people, but <laughs> just I mean Elm Street in general, really. But gotcha. like, but Dream Warriors is what I jumped to because my favorite one. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well there we go. Yeah, someone was comparing it to the thing, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, no, judging no... from the other seasons, um, cool. I don't uh, know why I... you would compare it to the thing. I don't know. This is just a random. You know how you get people that you know just like recommendations via Twitter. There's some person I've never even heard of mm. talking about how it's like the thing. And I was like, okay, well, no, <laughs> you know, you get the, why am I seeing this? So I just, like, I can't I think to... of anything. I guess there's some snow in the Russia plot. I mean, I guess. The... <laughs> yeah. So outside of that, I'm, I'm relatively unspoiled. I'm, I'm very happy because um, people tend to spoil things because uh, they have to be the first to talk about it. And I don't know if Stranger Things just had a cool off or what, but. Um, but yeah, uh, but that was, yeah, so I double or nothing and, uh, Obi-Wan and, uh, Top Gun there were things that I got done last weekend. Stranger Things was the one thing I did. So, but you know, there's always this weekend. It's, yes. it's uh, well, I was forced to watch the first episode of Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yep. would you believe that I did not care enough to watch episode <laughs> two? I don't... Oh shoot. You could knock me over with a feather. I am shocked like, that you would... All I'm get... saying is, if you want me to give a shit and have even a chance of caring about what you're about to do, don't start your episode with a five-minute recap of the prequel trilogy. You know, Pete, I, I immediately thought of you. and go, <laughs> wait, oh, You know who hates the prequel trilogy more than anybody I know? is Pete. And, but I'm not even like a big Star Wars. I feel like when people think yeah. of people who hate the prequel trilogy, they assume no. they, they imagine like a huge Star Wars fan who thinks they're like, oh, they're mm. blasphemy because they do all yeah, these no. things. I, they're just so boring and they're yeah, so yeah. like bland and they're, they're like they're terrible. Uh, well, I feel like bad actor as well, man. Talking about movies with you for the past nine years, I I know your feelings of the prequel trilogy they have nothing to do with the love of Star Wars. Um, it has a, of a love of movies. So when when they were recapping it, it's actually like, hey, next time I do a Star Wars rewatch, I'm just gonna watch the first five minutes of Obi Wan. <laughs> That'll and cover you for the prequel trilogy. Oh, <laughs> good, you know. So, but I disagree about your your take on Obi Wan. I understand that you didn't like it, but I, I gotta say it's up there with some of my favorite Star Wars stuff. Three episodes in, um, so so yeah. But I also like Star Wars. So, and and Obi Wan is a character. Uh, so. Actually, just yeah. on this genre of topic, uh-huh. uh, I will say four episodes in Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, not too shabby so far. You you said Star Star Trek. 
and, and I'm thinking there's an ogre in space. Because <laughs> you, you mash the titles together. Star Trek. I'll, just, I'll emphasize it. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best thing ever, but after Discovery and Picard's like, seasons, uh, <laughs> which were not good, uh, yep. by and large. Some, um, some of my Chuckier friends have, have said similar things. You know, mm. uh, so that's good. Uh, the, the, I just want, I I am at the point where I just want people to like the things they like. You know, like uh, enough of of you know, like I'll use myself as an example. the The current uh, movie site for DC, you know, I I just want to enjoy them. That that's all. So like Shazam, Black Adam, please just let me enjoy you. That that's all I want. You know. So the, the fact that the Trekkie people are enjoying that, the Star Wars people loving Obi-Wan. You know, Pete's loving the boys because he loves gore and raunch, apparently. You know. I also like cutting satire, which the boys <laughs> tends to have. And there's more of that. Because you watch season two, right? No. Oh, you don't I, watch I, season I, two? No. Oh, well, in season two, season they were making a movie uh, about the seven, starring the seven, and the island this, this director did, and it was clearly kind of like a parody of like Justice League being like redone by Whedon, and um, oh, and the premiere cool. episode, and I won't get too spoiler here. I'll keep this very yeah. like plot wise and all that. But and the premiere episode, it starts with them releasing the movie, and it seems to be based on the events of season two now, even though it was they were shooting it during season two. Because uh, I won't spoil who it is, but there's actually yeah. quite a big cameo playing a character from season two who didn't play her in season two, but just. In the movie that they have made, they've got this actress. I do need to finish that because I did enjoy the first season. It's just onslaught of things, you know? Um, Yeah, I I like season two even more than season one. Uh, We'll see how season three goes. That's his name. Um, (laughs) Who? The the showrunner, Eric Kripke. Oh, Eric Kripke, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? You know it's the guy from Supernatural because uh, yeah. Jensen Ackles is coming mm-hmm. in this season and Bobby from Supernatural's already mm-hmm. had a small role, so... Yep. Yeah, and from what I've heard about, because I listened to a show with Jensen Ackles on it because he was talking about uh, just... I forget why I listened to it, but I, I ended up listening to it and he was talking about, you know, Kripke calling him up wanting him to play this very specific character. Um, it was basically if Captain America was, you know, not Star Spangled Boy Scout. Um, so, uh, I remember hearing about that, but I didn't realize that was a season three thing. That figured it was a season two, but he also talked about the movie that he made with Travolta, where the, or not Travolta, with, um, Alec Baldwin, where the tragedy happened. And so oh, was he in that? Then, I don't know he was yeah, in Yeah, he was in it, um, and so they had to put a disclaimer on the front of the show that this was all, of course, recorded before, you know, he had even started shooting, um, but Ackles, or, was, was excited to be in a Western. It was one of the few things he hasn't done. So, uh, but he was really talking about how great it was to be on, on set of the boys and hanging out with all those guys. And I was like, I should watch season two. Um, you should. So, yeah, I should. But that that's hilarious that they, uh, they're taking the piss out of Justice League. Yeah, um, nah, they still did it because it, that's the thing. Because what I was saying is that the the plot of this movie that we're making seems to have completely changed. And there's a reference early on in the episode that they did a bunch of reshoots. <laughs> that's hilarious. That so, is great. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, but yes, I, I recommend it. I, mean, I don't know how the season's going to turn out. I've, I, there's three episodes. Uh, I was going to watch them all today, 
but then you push the podcast recording to today, so I'll, yes. I'll do the next two tomorrow and review gotcha. it afterwards. But uh, um, yeah, but you can, you can check it. I did I did review the Stranger Things episode so far, uh, yeah, and I I, I begrudgingly reviewed the first Elbow one, although it's not a good Bro. review. It's not a good review. I'll just I'll, I'll say that right now for Obi One. The the thumbnail's not good. The the thumbnail made me want to go away and not click on it. What's the show with the thumbnail? You look very nonplussed. Like your 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 body language in that thumbnail. <laughs> is like, don't click on this. It, I mean, it's well, it's accurate that this is yes, uh, this it, is a perfect exactly. thumbnail. That's why I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I was like, oh, if I had not known you didn't enjoy this, that tells me all I need to know. Uh, I mean, the title of the video was also Obi Wan Kenobi watching against my will so i mean if no one gets gets the gist of my feelings from uh, that see, then... yeah, i just i only saw the thumbnail i didn't uh, see the see the thing underneath it also oh. probably because i scrolled away real quick uh on the old <laughs> youtubes uh so yeah uh, a lot of stuff uh being reviewed over mail fuzz tv if you want to go check that out uh, that's that's there. And if you want even more misery on on the Male Fuzz Movies channel, uh, on the Atomic Cinema Experiment, the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, did with Tara, uh, we did Alien vs Predator Requiem. Uh, oh no! This past week, so uh, that's that's just a good eighty to ninety minutes of, of misery. Uh, if you want to go, now, being that that's the only one I haven't seen, <laughs> should I put myself through it? For completion's sake, I would say absolutely. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, and, and, you know, you'll be marveled. You'll be marveled at how a movie can be so dark that even its scenes in broad daylight look too dark. Uh, which... When you mean dark, you don't mean subject matter. You mean the actual shooting. Yes, I, I mean it's yeah. underexposed. And then yeah. you can still tell what's going on during the day because, you know, the, 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 the sun, that, that thing, that magical thing in the sky mm-hmm. we call the sun is working overtime to make sure that even though it's underexposed, we can still get a vague idea what they're doing. See, once it hits nighttime and there's aliens and predators fighting in the dark, it's like, you have no chance. There is no way you're making any of this shit out. It's diabolical. And this is a movie that premiered in theaters. Yes, this was a theater release in 2007 by the Brothers Strauss. Not the Strauss brothers, the yes. Brothers Strauss, as they chose to be credited. Uh it, is... say, it can't it can't be worse than the predator but thinking back on it oh predator... it's way worse no i i, yeah. I will take shane black's yeah. uh like unfortunate mess over requiem any day requiem is the worst thing in either alien or predator franchise like easily it's worse than covenant it's worse than the, worse than the predator it's worse than prometheus it's worse than the first avp it's worse than them all it's tr- trash Oh man, and then they made Skyline. <laughs> yes, they made Skyline. But they produced Take Shelter, which is a movie I enjoy. Is yeah, it the same one? Oh well, yeah, the, the visual yeah. effects guys, uh, yeah. first and foremost, and they've just directed a few things. I, uh, Goodness. yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, recommend. But they made three Skyline movies. <laughs> there's there's skyline beyond skyline and skylines oh they even call uh, it skyline two and three just to make it simple they have to yeah get all fancy oof oh it looks terrible i must watch this it has frank grillo in it 
you know, I, I complain that there's too many good things, and then I see uh, this, and I was like, wow. <laughs> Car crash it is. Well, on that note, let's talk about the comics, shall we? Uh, so, Shadow War Omega issue one, Joshua Ellison and Steve, uh, sorry, Joshua Ellison's writing, Steven Segovia mm-hmm. and Howard Porter on the art. Mm-hmm. My grammar was slightly different the way I wrote that that's, down, which is why I confused okay. who the artist and writer consciousness. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you were here to talk about the reveal nope. from the last issue, so I, suppo- <laughs> I suppose you're going to want to say something about Geoforce before we uh, dive in. So, I remember talking about during the Bendis stuff, during Leviathan, and, you know, where's where's Prince Brian? Where, where's he been? And then, so, for him to be the one that is getting revenge on Talia and the All Ghouls in just kind of the world in general, I I love that execution i love making him not necessarily the villain because he's very he's justified in his actions right but um yeah well, I, I don't know if he's feel... justified to uh, assassinate someone and like pin it on someone oh. else and start a war i don't know if he's justified in that but... i mean when you're when you're talking about deathstroke in in raz al ghul right and now like you know geoforce is this character that's kind of been shuffled about and really haven't seen him like he's he has ties the batman and the outsiders and you know you have the whole judas contract stuff with his younger sister so again this is just you know i feel this is williamson you know playing with continuity you know making all that line up in a way that i appreciate um i don't know how it, you know other people might feel it seemed to be pretty positive last week the reactions i was seeing um but but yeah and also it, it's turned him into a premier almost badass right because this is a guy now that took out Ra's al Ghul, and as it appeared, took out Slade. Because um, I was like, oh, his healing factor. And then we, we get, as this book goes on, Slade doesn't show back up. And you're like, oh man, so I guess he really did it, which... Wasn't, yeah, but wasn't Talia the one who killed Slade? Oh, yes, Talia was the one. Yeah, it was Talia. Shoot. Well, you know, Brian was taking credit for it in this one. Because <laughs> um, he, as he said, I was Oh, he said I'm responsible for the death of Slade Wilson. So, um, but yeah, but as we had seen from from Dark Crisis, like we knew Slade was going to pull through. So I was like, oh, his healing factor, right? We always hear about the the Deathstroke healing factor and stuff. So, but no, um, I think uh, Shadow War stuck at planning. How'd you feel? I liked the reveal. It was a fun mm-hmm. character to to pull out. Um. And then here, like, you know, I enjoy him making the big rock person to, Monster, like, fight, yeah. yeah, to fight the, the heroes and, uh, you know, he's monologuing or whatever. Like, I, I was having fun with that. I, I like the opening where it kind of cuts back to, like, Markovia just being decimated because a Leviathan's fallen out of the sky and all the rest of it. So yeah. I appreciated it pulled on recent continuity, even if it was a book that I kind of opted out of. Yeah, you know. but, like... In- and I know this is always uh, the argument against continuity about stuff mattering, right? But when you read everything kind of like we do, it feels nice when there is at least a little amount of payoff. Oh, no, I, I like some here. payoff. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not complaining yeah. about that. Like, I, I yeah. was, like, nothing that happened here. Because like, all you really need to know about that story, and I got a good chunk of it mm-hmm. because I read the first Leviathan and I read, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bits of... Leviathan Strikes. Yeah, whatever. Whatever so, was. Event Leviathan. It was like Event Leviathan yeah. and something. Leviathan. Yeah. Anyways. Checkmate. Uh, whatever those, those minis were goddamn called. Uh, 
But, you know, the broad stroke of it just being, like, Markovia was involved in, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Leviathan was hiding over Markovia. Like, that's really all you need to know, and then it, it all went tits up. Like, that, that's, that's basically yeah. all you need. Well, and, and the fact that, you know, that um, Spectre got into <clears throat> Markovia and kind of took advantage of the corruption, right, which Brian kind of took personally as well. So I do like his motivations for all of this. It's kind of like his fragile understanding of his own country was also broken and it kind of revealed the truth. And he only can, you know, he can't blame himself, right? He's part of the Royal family. So he has to blame Talia for Leviathan, for creating Leviathan and letting Spectre take it over. So I, I did like how layered all of that was with him. Yeah, so uh, we get a small payoff to that Black Canary story and that really otherwise terrible one-shot. Still really nothing? That was that was superfluous at best, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, like, the Black Canary story was alright, and then the rest of it just felt, like, needless. And then there was a mention in the main book, or one of these main issues a few issues ago, uh, the Black Canary was, was invited and turned, turned uh, Angel Breaker down. And that was probably enough to like just yeah. you know like set up the fact that she was going to come swooping in the bat wing and mm-hmm. uh, pick them up here. Yeah, uh, they do have a crash landing though, and we get the big rock monster, uh, which is a great two page spread. You know, it was a yeah. nice big thing, um, and it's that's the sort of thing where it took me a second to realize like wait who's this that showed up and I went oh no it's just made out of rock it's it's just yeah. force doing this, uh, so. Big fun fight scene, uh, you know, you get Batman jumping in, saving Robin, Talia saves Batman at one point, so there's all these little, like, moments of, like, oh, you care about me, father, oh, and, like, Talia's like, ah, oh, I just don't want my son to lose anyone else, and just yeah. little bits like that, all the different little motivations for saving each other. Uh, I think the big thing here, though, is uh, Damien making his grand speech as he's going to fight Geoforce, and, you know, the big full-page spread of Heroes Don't Kill. Given, and we've not even read most of the Damien stuff for the last, you know, obviously we've read Robin, but before that, when he was doing all these weird Teen Titans stuff, where he was going a bit darker and he was imprisoning villains, we weren't really reading that, but mm-hmm. it's so core to Damien's character that he was trained to be a killer first, and then Batman had to kind of teach him out of that, uh, mm-hmm. when, when that was kind of a lot of Damien's early stories. So it does feel kind of uplifting and show how much he's grown, and but admittedly, in the real world, it's been like, I mean, what, it's been 13, 14 years at this point? Some of that? Mm-hmm. Um, but in comics, it's been, like, three years <laughs> in universe. Yeah, to me, he came in, like, he was, like, 10, 11, and now he's 14, 15-ish, you know? So... Well, then he just turned 13 in Rebirth. Was that not a thing? Is that what it was? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure there's a panel in the Rebirth one shot where he's got a cake that says 13 13. on it. Well, sure. So, you know. But him also announcing that heroes don't kill, but, like, is Robin, does he consider himself a hero? Right? Because he would do that whole death tournament, and, you know. I think he does. Well, I think that's the point, is he does now. Mm -hmm. Like, he's had this arc, and this is the payoff to everything he's been Mm -hmm. going through uh, over the past couple of years. Um, So, that's very much the point. Um, Yeah. So Talia does try to kill Geoforce, and Damien has to go in and talk her down. And Batman's going to intervene, and he says, no, trust me, she's my family, let me do this. So Batman trusts him, and that's a nice little payoff as well for, like, rebuilding their relationship. Yep. Um, so, yeah, but he does convince her to throw the blade down. 
and uh, she does knock him out because uh, Geoforce yeah. tries to attack them after. Uh, but you know, so there's a lot of nice little family stuff between Batman and Damien and Damien and Talia uh, in the issue, which was appreciated. Geoforce gets locked up and sent to Belle Reeve, uh, as you may expect. Uh, and the end of the story, um, after you know, a little heart to heart, and Batman like, "You going to tell me about this tournament or this new girlfriend you've got?" Oracle. I did love that because that's Bruce. Even though he has like what four sons, Bruce is still an awkward dad. You know, oh, always, like he, yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that that keeps going. You know, he hasn't learned. He hasn't learned from Dick or or Tim or even Jason. He's just gonna come out about it. Yeah. Um. So Oracle puts in a call saying there's some stuff happening. I think it's like Firefly and Killer Moth. She says. Mm-hmm. Um. And she's like, "Hey, do you want me to call in Nightwing or the Batgirls?" And Batman's like, "No, this one calls for." And you get a big two-page spread at the end of the story saying Batman and Robin. And I think what stuck out to me this is that obviously this is a very normal thing to have a, a page where it's like this is a job for Batman and Robin. And you have Batman and Robin like swooping in with a big, you know, the the moon behind them and the 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 skyscrapers and whatnot. I think this like felt really nice because we we legitimately haven't had a Batman mm-hmm. and Robin moment in. Mm-hmm several years yeah i mean since alfred died right like yeah but even before that they were they were separate right there was no batman and robin book not since new 52 um and there's not been like they they weren't really interacting much yeah no that's true because i'm thinking through detective he wasn't really there yeah and even though tim was technically still robin and he was in detective that that never really felt like a batman and robin pairing because it was always the team it was always yeah, because, well, no, I'm just saying with Batman and Damien as Batman yeah. and Robin, or Bruce, I should say, Damien, the, yeah, I can't think of anything, because even then, since Damien showed up, I don't think of Tim as Robin. Like, even though they, they're both Robin, hmm. you know what I mean? Like, when I think of Batman and Robin, it's, it's Damien first. So, yeah, I'm trying to think back, and I don't, I can't think of any. So yeah, no, so that was a, a really good moment because this is the first we're really getting this in a very long time. It felt nice. It felt like a nice mm-hmm. like throwback moment because we haven't had it in a while. Uh, and it says, to be continued in Robin 15, which is interesting. And we also, Williamson also announced uh, just uh, this past couple of weeks that he's, that he's going to be done with Robin after, oh, I say issue 18. But yeah. I, I could be wrong on the number, but it's about that. 17 or 18, I yeah. think. So he's like, he's like so he's basically got a few issues of Robin left to kind of like wrap up his Damien arc and what mm-hmm. he wants to say about Damien to wrap off. Uh, whether or not that means the book's ending or if they're putting a new team on it, mm-hmm. uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So yeah, Williamson did promise though that he has something big up his sleeve. So if like he's still writing Robin, maybe it transitions to Teen Titans. Maybe I don't know. Um. Uh, possibly, but obviously he's doing the event. He's got tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt he's got other big stuff that he's going to get in the pipeline with DC so it makes sense yeah. that maybe he's not going to have much time for uh, you know, the Robin books to you know, eternally yeah. keep going uh, there's an epilogue as well uh, with the uh, you know Slade's group from uh, mm-hmm. Deathstroke, what are they called? Uh, well it's Deathstroke Inc but the, the Secret Society I see what I was thinking yeah. uh, they take him to a Lazarus pit which is probably the most obvious outcome for all this yep. <laughs> and they dump him in but all the reactions as he's coming out uh, are kind of horrified. And the Lazarus, it's, it's like black, the, the Lazarus pit goes from green to black. It's like it emanates from his body. And then he comes out, uh, like he's covered in oil. And 
says that they've got a contract to finish, we're going to kill everyone, and it says to be continued in Dark Crisis issue one. So this, mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the plot threads related Dark Crisis is that we've got some sort of weird. I don't want to say zo- zo- yeah. I, I, I was going to say zombie destro, not quite yeah. zombie, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, I, I like that they point out they go, "How come I didn't heal his eye?" Yes, right. So we know that the Lazarus didn't work exactly. Well, it's, it's like it's corrupted, or he corrupted yeah. it, or something. Like something's well, but, been on here. But we knew when Roz was making that, you know, announcement that there is something up with the Lazarus pit. So maybe mm. this was the Great Darkness infecting the Lazarus pits. Oh, possibly. Right? Yeah, maybe it's going to tie into Dark Crisis specifically. Yeah. yeah. And that you know, this is why he was gonna, you know, because he didn't want to be part of that. Because right, because at the end of the day, Razal Ghul has a uh, let's not say noble, but he is trying to preserve the earth. Right, so the the darkness wouldn't appeal to him. So if he felt like the you know the Lazarus pits were infected by that, he wouldn't you know want to engage. Um, but yeah, no, Slade, that was definitely like I was like, oh okay, this is his out is the Lazarus pit. He's gonna come back and he's gonna be a maniac and because that, that's how we know that the Lazarus madness, right? Uh, but to get the opposite that he comes out and he has like this cool dark, you know, demeanor. I- I don't know if I'd get killed. Like, he still seems like he might be completely crazy. I mean, we're going to kill everyone sounds like a crazy statement to say. Right, but it's not, he's not, like, he doesn't got the, the wild eye, right, that we see, like, when Roz comes out, you know, it's it's a difference. That's what, when I say cool, I mean cold. Like, he's just like, yeah, we're going to kill everybody. Okay, I st- I'm still getting unhinged, though, so I don't know if I'm necessarily yeah. going with that. With that. I, I, I think... You can be cold and unhinged, right? Like... You can be, yes. Yeah. But you said cool first, which uh, that's, that's yeah, different. Yeah, when I, I mean cool, I meant like cold, like a cold demeanor. Like he's, it's not like the maniacal, like we've seen Roz come out with the, the, the raving madness of the last. I do bit. think the the speculation that this is tied to Dark Crisis, I mean, obviously it says it's going to be continued there, but yeah. the fact that there's stuff for Dark Crisis has been seeded in what's happened in the Lazarus pit, it's not a ridiculous idea because Williams is the one writing both books, right. so it makes sense that he would mm-hmm. actually try and put in some seeds in right. this. It's, you know, it's especially since he's pulling on continuity here from like Checkmate and Event Leviathan, mm-hmm. which, you know, by and large, no one needed to do that, but he, no. he, he wanted to incorporate but, it. And that's why I appreciate Williamson, right? And is that he pulled from there and he made the story come together and work. So that's why, like, the whole Shadow War thing, sticking the landing. You know, not that he made it more elaborate, but adding, you know, making the the fake Deathstroke that was popping up in Justice League, making that Brian of Markovia, I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like this final issue. Uh, I think the art is uh, from Segovia in particular. I think it's quite good. Uh, the yeah. epilogue is the part that's done by Howard Porter. and yeah. as you know, it looks like Howard Porter. I think Howard Porter is fine for certain. Uh, things. I will say it's a very sh- big shift, because it doesn't mm-hmm. look anything like the art that came in the rest of the book. Uh, no, so Govies is very clean and smooth, and yeah. Porter's is very thick, dark lines, and very angular. So it, it is almost like two opposing styles. Which I guess kind of works, because it it kind of shakes you out from Segovia stuff. I mean, um, it, it works in the sense that it's supposed to be crazier at the end, because it's, you know, the mm-hmm. corrupted Lazarus pit and Destro's looking all weird and good, you know, whatever. But uh, it is a bit of a shift, uh, but I did like the Segovia art more so, I would say. I think it had more big moments. I think the full page spreads that it had, whether it was the uh, the final Batman Robin page, whether it was the rock monster from, from Geoforce, 
Uh, or even at the start when you see Markovia just like being decimated with explosions yeah. and rubble and stuff, and that looked quite good. Yeah, um, I like the single page too of the heroes don't kill with Robin oh, yeah, yeah. around the pu- knockout punch. I, I like that. Yeah, that actually, really nice. what one detail that uh, made me roll my eyes a lot I was like, Geo for sure an idiot. Because at one point he tries to argue with Bam. I was like, Bam, are you telling me you wouldn't try and like get you know and kill someone if they yeah. decimated Gotham? And I'm like. No, Geoforce, Batman's thing, no matter how bad someone does something, he's pretty yeah. adamant about the no that's, killing. <laughs> that's, called a, that's called a Thursday in Gotham that someone decimates the city, and Batman's never resorted to, okay, oh, we're taking out Joker, lethal means. You know? Like, yeah. he's had a Joker war and a fear state in the time that Brian's been organizing this. So, you know. Yeah, so, I, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I like the final issue. I like the crossover overall. There were maybe one or two issues because you know, because I think overall this was like what seven regular issues plus the Alpha and Omega at the start and end. That's so nine. That's about standard anymore. Yeah, I will say there's maybe a couple in the middle that felt like you know, the, okay, there's maybe one or two too many here, so some of them are a little stretched. But I I did like though that because he was writing all of it like the Batman issue felt like an issue of Batman and same with Deathstroke Inc. and the same with Robin is like, it just didn't feel like these were all just, you know, just chapter of shadow war. It was the Robin chapter of, of shadow war. And then the alpha and Omega felt like the ones that were, you know, fully formed together. So credit, credit to Williamson for pulling all that off. Yeah. I mean, is it, I guess the only shame is, is that I do think it peaked with its very first issue. I think that first issue with the assassination of Razel Ghul was mm-hmm. the the high point of the whole thing. By the coward Brian of Markovia. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think the Geo first reveal was a lot of fun and probably the second high yeah. point. So you know, I, I mean that was my personal high point, but just because I've been wondering where the hell that guy is, uh, you know, and so for for him to pop up in that way, I I thought was really cool. Just him him. Sh- you know, shredding the, the Deathstroke uniform to have the Geoforce uniform on underneath is just comic book in the best way. So, yeah, and that was my high point. Yeah, uh, alright, what are you giving Shadow War Omega? I think it was 7.5. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I... I could maybe go to an 8. Um, I do kind of like the, the final beats that it's playing with Damien kind of like it, it does feel like he's grown since the start of the Robin issue one and this is paying off a lot of that stuff so I do wonder if this inherently if you weren't reading Robin and you just jumped into the crossover because you were reading Batman or because you were reading Deathstroke Inc if it would have the same kind of weight to it I, th- I think Robin being the heart of this uh, works because if you've been reading the Robin series yeah um but I think I'll agree with the 7.5. Um, but it's, it's borderline nudging up. Borderline. So uh, there you go. That is Shadow War Omega issue one. Justice League, the Road to Dark Crisis issue one with various names because there's like five stories in it. So I'll, I'll read them out in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I got a lot worried about this because after the one shot for Shadow War, which was like, the anthology and i ended up thinking that was a giant waste of time <laughs> uh i was a bit worried at this one that i was going to feel the same way i was like okay i hope this actually has some meat in it because otherwise i'm going to be really annoyed um it was better than the the shadow war one 
but yeah. I wouldn't say by a ton. Like it's no, it, this this is what the free comic book day special should have been because mm. this felt like the countdown to Infinite Crisis, where you know the whole Blue Beetle thing happens with Max Lord with the reveal. This is I was getting vibes from that, but that was executed a lot better because it was one story that was taking you through the different beats of what to expect. I think uh, the biggest downside to this one is that I feel like the first four or five stories all kind of just make the same point, but the first mm-hmm. one probably does it best, even though I do think it's a little off in, uh, like, because the first one is Nightwing and... Um, John. John, yeah, Superman. And it's them talking about, uh, you know, the Justice League being gone, and Dick's kind of in this weird place where he's like, look, I've seen, you know, Clark die before, I've seen Bruce die before, and they always come back. He thought he was about Barry. In fact, it got to the point halfway through this story where I was almost starting to laugh. I'm like, you're almost kind of pointing out how meaningless death is in, in the DC universe. Well, but and and after, but, but after Blackest Night, we kind of all realized that, right? So to be making the point, what, how, how many years has it been since Blackest Night? 13 years yeah you know so 12 13 yeah. uh i i no no like it's true it's not, it's not really a new observation but it's just like them actually discussing it in universe almost mm-hmm. makes it look really silly like that they shouldn't really take death seriously uh i did appreciate though a couple of pages later where john points out not everyone comes back and you see the mm-hmm. you see dick think about his parents and alfred uh i mean we'll see if alfred comes back at some point because i'm not necessarily ruling it out yet but um, yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, I, I will say the art in this is very nineties, uh, which is interesting given that we're talking a lot about Death of Superman. Uh, yeah, well, because it's Dan Jurgens, right? It yeah, was, it's Dan Jurgens. Yeah, yeah, um, it's one of the the masterminds of Death of Superman. So the the, the one thing I will say, because this is Williamson writing this first story, mm-hmm. is it did feel like they got a little argumentative really easily and Dick came off a little like, I mean, it, it actually reminded me even in the writing style a lot in 90s comics where characters did seem to get a little angrier mm-hmm. more often. Um, and it kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. I did generally like the idea of what it was going for though, which is that John's trying to convince Dick to come and speak at this vigil for the Justice League and Dick wasn't wanting to do it because, and, he really, and I think the reason why I like it a little bit is because Dick's realizing he was acting like Bruce when Bruce went, didn't want to accept yeah. that Superman was dead and went all stoic and stuff like that. Uh, but after they take on some bad guys, Dick's like, yeah, I'll come and speak at the vigil. And, you know, it's got that final page where uh, you see them, this John's flying, Dick's running, and above them you see, you know, Clark and Bruce in costume. Kind of, It's kind of showing you this is the old generation, this is the new generation, yeah. uh, so on, so on. Well, um, and, and I do like that it's Dick who's been around and has seen all this type of stuff. So of course he's a little bit more cynical versus John who this is his first I mean you know Dick has literally lived through almost every member of the uh-huh. Justice League dying at some point. <laughs> right, right. And for John this is all new territory so of course he's the more hopeful like no well they'll they'll find ways back you know better than anybody and that's where like the uh, you know they Oh they no it's the opposite. There. Dick's the one saying that they'll find their ways back. John John's the one who's like no that's is serious the Justice League we need to make battle okay. in Justice League. Well, I'm still going to make my point that that's, you know, it's sinking heavier on Dick that not everybody comes back, right? Because it's, you know, his parents and Alfred. Those are the constants. It used to just be, you know, Jason Todd was the one that was kind of never coming back. So I do like that, you know, 
Well, that's an out-of-date thought because yeah. he's been back since 2006 or something like that. Dude, it was it was Bucky over in Marvel, and it was Jason Todd, and then within four months of each other, they're both coming back in the comics. Mm. Uh, 2007 was, was a hell of a time. Yeah, it, so... I don't think that I like generally what this first story is doing. I do think it's a little off in like their voices at times, mm-hmm. but uh, well, we're we're used to Tom Taylor doing doing both, uh, not not Williamson. That's true, but I, so. I but I also think it's not just because of Tom Taylor though. I think even before Tom Taylor touched style these characters, these these mm-hmm. would feel a little off. Dick okay. especially, I think Dick especially comes off a little bit in the the uh, yeah. like. When when John pushes for him to go to this vigil thing, he he, he comes off a little aggressive in a way that just felt yeah. a little uh, character to me. No, that's true. Um, uh, can we talk about them having a beef? Uh, how do you say it? Beef Bojan uh, from a food truck. Um, which I mean, I've never had this. I have no idea what this is, but <laughs> so it's, it's it's like beef stew. I had to look this up. Okay. Um, and the reason I know this is this is Superman's favorite meal is that uh, Talking Superman used to do, like, quizzes based around Superman. And I found that out. That, what you know, some, Yeah. <laughs> somehow through, I forget what comic it came out, but it was Beef Bourgeon with, with ketchup is Clark Kent's favorite meal. And so for, for them to throw that in, it'd just be at a food truck in Metropolis. I was just like, uh, it's gross. And then when they say that, Dick's like, yeah, it's disgusting, but I figured you need some comfort food. I just thought that that's a very Dick Grayson move, mm. I felt. Superman um, should be vegan these days, but, I mean, it's just amusing. Whatever. I mean, he's a farm boy from Kansas, so, you know, he, he understands, you know, that the, the, you know, factory farming settings, not great, but... No, not, not only does he care about all living beings, because he's Superman, uh-huh. uh, his planet was destroyed by climate change, yes. and was one of the biggest contributors to climate change. Right. <laughs> so, I'm just saying that yeah. it makes more sense to me in this day and age that Superman would be vegan, but, you know, well, whatever. Theory, Superman doesn't have to eat, because he, you know, solar energy and all that. Yeah, but, so if yeah. he, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. He doesn't have to eat, so if he yeah. does actually eat some animal products, he's, it's especially a dick move on his part. <laughs> Versus everyone else. And to this I say, if cows knew how delicious they were, then, you know, they'd understand. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that... Great. Now I'm going to have all the vegans coming after me, which, if you want to have that discussion, we can. Just I'm sure that know. helps with the pain and the... I'm just saying, factory farming sucks, but there are ways you can farm ethically. And, you know, I'm just saying, that's all. Superman would understand that, being from Kansas. You know, he can't just live on corn. <laughs> well, the argument very much is, Matt, that you can <laughs> just live on corn. No, I, uh, I, you know what? However, not just corn. We have been going to a vegan uh, taco shop. You know, uh, it, you really can't tell the difference. Um, so, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. This story is pretty, pretty good. I'm always a fan of Jerkins art. Because, um, as you said, it has that... 90s throwback feel um so uh, yeah uh so that was called team up i'll just give you all the creative teams yeah. just now because i'm not going to go back to this credits page every time uh, <laughs> i'll keep it open if you want to just uh do them as we go oh sure you keep it open then yeah uh so yeah the next one though is life of purpose by jeremy adams writing and rosie campy on the art 
so this is obviously Jeremy Adams is the the Flash writer. Yeah. So this is very much uh, the Flash story. And while I, you know, I like checking in uh, with um, Iris coming to see like Wally and Linda and saying that Barry's been missing for a while, and she didn't think much of it at first because he's a superhero and sometimes he runs away and has to deal with like events for a while. Um, I thought this ultimately amounted to basically nothing. Even I mean, I I. I, I think it was pleasant enough to read, and the idea that Wally and Wallace are going out to deal with all the villains that are coming out of the woodwork because they think the Justice League are dead, so it's time to like you know go and try and mm-hmm. be extra villainous. Um, ultimately, there's not really much of a story to it, and that it's just that we have to keep being superheroes and keep you know the world in a good place and uh, speed off together and just be, you know be heroes, and that's it. You know, they just mm-hmm. you know the, the the final page is Wally running off after he looks at the Barry statue at the Flash Museum, saying the world can always count on its heroes, and that's it. And so at the end of it, I was like, "This this really like amounted to nothing. Like I didn't need to exist." <laughs> you know, it just it's kind of the flashes during a crisis, and that Wally telling Ace, as we're gonna call him now, you know that you know I I stepped up for Barry before. You know, we the the world keeps moving. You know, that's what flashes do. We keep moving. Um, and it just kinda of sowing those seeds for the for the Barry Allen, you know, where is he? That we're gonna get through Adams' flash tie in. Yeah, obviously, yeah, it's, it's sort of setting up the the, the flash tie in story, which which is fine. Mm-hmm. It just I, I just didn't feel like it had much shit. It felt like it this was a you know, eight page, ten page story that was just kind of crafted to go into this book without mm-hmm. it needing to exist like I, I didn't really feel like there was like a strong idea for what this on its own was other than just oh let's just put a few pages into tease what we're doing in flash coming up uh and then alternatively the next story which is the green lantern story with hal uh who was not present for the death of the justice league it was uh john who got john. snuffed yep um who's this by uh this is chuck brown and pico Osio on art uh, so Chuck Brown's been doing the Aqua stuff. I think uh, Black Manta. That makes sense because uh, this uh, is yeah. very much Hal and uh, Jackson. Because uh, yep. Hal's chasing this uh, life form to Earth that is goes straight into the ocean. So Jackson and Co. sense it, and he goes yep. out to, and he ends up interacting with Hal basically for the first time because you yeah. can t- tell from the interactions they're not really spoken before. Uh, and he actually has to break the news to Hal that not only is Arthur dead, but the entire Justice League are seemingly dead. Um, but uh, they, they do something to, to deal with this creature, which ends up being kind of friendly once they separate all of its nastiness away from it. Yeah, so there's some parasites that it's, that's, you know, trying to replicate and it's trying to use the, the waters. And uh, Hal points out that it's it's destroyed every ecosystem it's come into contact with. But... Jackson being, you know, this newer hero is like, well, let's try to figure out what's wrong with it instead of just trying to beat it into submission. And, you know, they do some, he does some Aquaman centrifugal, you know, spin thing, and then it separates the parasites from the creature, and you know, happy ending. Um, yeah. It's just that it was, it was just kind of weird, just kind of Jackson soliloquying about Arthur and how, you know, he's going to have to stay in Atlantis because Atlantis needs him. And, and that stuff it was just it was kind of mm-hmm. off like why i understand needing hal having an entry point but why why jackson why aquaman i don't it's just weird i mean i assume it's set like you know in dark crisis there's going to maybe be a like we'll, we'll cut to atlantis and what they're doing mm-hmm. a few times and this is just kind of setting up like who's yeah. there whatever um 
I mean, this and the Flash story feel very similar to me in that they don't do too much. They're just kind of, like, checking in in different corners without having much of a story. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate, like, checking in on the various corners and seeing what's going on. I, they both kind of amount to, like, you know, I'll rate the book as a whole when we get to the end, but mm-hmm. this and the Flash story are both kind of just, like, sixes to me, where they're, they're like, they're pleasant enough, yeah. but they kind of feel also like not necessary at all like, I, I don't think like you would miss any of this book if you go straight into dark crisis I, i'll say that <laughs> uh but mm-hmm. that's basically that and then the next story is a pariah story uh who's this by this is philip kennedy johnson uh on the script and Layla deluca on art yeah so it's pariah kind of seen his dead family and it's like this is him like trapped in a prison of his own mind, sort of reliving things and mm-hmm. uh, trying to, like you know, basically dealing with this, you know, him having to go to all these worlds that were dying and uh, trying to accept that everything's dead and all of us, all of us, not real. But then eventually he sort of wakes up from it and he sees destruction and the the great darkness talks to him, yeah. uh, making well, it, it suffer. I, I took it as the dark, the the great darkness infected him because his whole thing is, you know, if I do nothing then, you know, the multiverse survives. It's if I get involved, the multiverse will die. And so finally, it's the great darkness, you know, infecting him and making him, you know, putting him into action, which is what we saw in the, uh, what was that, the Justice League incarnate? Yeah. Um, So this is a weirder one, and obviously it's it's distinctly different from the rest of the stories because it's not just the regular heroes reacting to what's happened. Mm -hmm. This is trying to go into the backstory of, pariah a little bit and like setting up how he came to be in the position he was in um i will say because it also kind of falls on from because there was those two like giant one shots right mm-hmm. that, that kind of had pariah in them and it kind of set up that some of the stuff that was building up to like this before he went into the dark crazy stuff um i is is this somewhat interesting? But I will say, well, despite being Johnson writing, which I would well, expect good things from, I think there's only so much you can do when you're when you're given the the, the task of just sort of trying to make this work, which is ultimately not really much beyond just the great darkness like mm-hmm. has has reached out to him and put this in his head. Well, I I just like it in the meta context of of Philip Kennedy Johnson, the story he's telling in action. And about hope and about, you know, being inspired in Superman, you know, doing what he needs to do to with Warworld. And here's with Pariah, it's like, if you let the darkness in, the darkness is going to lie to you and tell you, you know, things that aren't true. You know, and it kind of, for me, it was almost kind of like a thing of, of anxiety or depression, like in the, in the general sense, right? Is that, you know, Pariah just wants his family back. Right, and he ends up letting the great darkness, you know, in, so he can, you know, and lie to him because, as he says, you know, his family's dead in every universe at this point, you know, and he just has to come to terms with that. But the great darkness gets into him, and you know, I just like that metaphor throughout, you know, and it might not pay off at all in Dark Crisis, but so far out of these, it was the one that uh, I felt. The most emotionally, I guess. I think I, it has I the best. That it was Philip it, Kennedy Johnson, you know. It has the best concept, but I, I don't think this is the sort of thing where I feel like this would have done much better if it actually had a full issue to itself to actually develop oh, the probably. ideas that it's playing with. 
Because everything you just said to me there, like, I get where you're coming from, but I don't know if the, the story actually gets that across to me. Well, I might have also been in an emotional uh, spot after reading the Action Comics Annual, too. So, um, it might I might have been reading uh, a bit too closer into things. So Yeah, maybe. Um, it's, it's, it's just it's a weird thing where I, I, I kind of appreciate... That it's trying to give us a okay, this is how the great darkness has corrupted him or or swayed him to his side kind of thing, uh, but that's the sort of thing where I'm like that deserves at least a twenty page story, if not like maybe an oversized thing where yeah, let, 50- it, let it breathe. I, I agree with you there. It, it should have been allowed to breathe, but for for being as economical as as you know as it was, I still feel that the story. I think it barely scratches the surface. It feels like a bullet point rather than a story to me. Oh, that's true. That's I'm not gonna argue there. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah, that is a shame. Like, I honestly, like th- this book could have done with that and that this story yeah. just been the entire thing and just really yeah. getting into the idea of how he's manipulated to, to to do it. And you know, I believe Johnson could probably pull that off, but I don't think in the the eight to ten pages that he gets here, I, I don't think yeah. he's able to do it. Um. So, yeah. And I realize I'm being quite down on this, but honestly, like, it is just kind of mediocre, I would say, by and large, this this one shot. Uh, yeah. And I think it all being these eight to ten page stories is what's hurting it, because I, I, like, you know, ha- have an idea that sets up and benefits what we're doing with, with the event uh, and stick to it. Um, the, the more I read of these, like, you know, 50 page books, it's like five, ten page stories, the, the less I feel like they're worth bothering with, because most of the time... They just feel like these little snapshots that aren't really offering much in terms of a story. Anyway, uh, final stories about Nocturna. Um, mm-hmm. And that's... Oh, to be fair, I, I didn't really enjoy a lot of this one, but I will say it felt like it had more purpose in that by the end you realise yeah. the, the Secret Society are recruiting uh, more villains for something that's obviously going to be a subplot in Dark Crisis, right? Right. So Noctur- right. Nocturna's... Uh, recruited at the end by uh, was it Firefly? Yeah, Firefly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we see this like page where we see all these villains who are teaming up, and you know a lot of B listers and C listers certainly mm-hmm. uh, in this group. But um, AKA Cannon Fodder. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I you know I recognize Silver Banshee. I recognize um, uh, Gardner. I think's there in the back. And... Yeah. Well, and this is Stephanie Phillips. It's called Because of the Night. Stephanie Phillips and Clayton Henry there on the go. art, which. I'm surprised it was Clayton Henry. I didn't pick that up until just now. Um, yeah, uh, and she fights uh, Stephanie Brown in this mm-hmm. mu- you know in the museum she breaks into for a little bit and has a bit of a bit of a quid pro quo with her uh, mm-hmm. before Batgirl's called away to uh, deal with something else. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I would say that I didn't really enjoy the story that much. But at least by the end, I felt like okay, this set up a plot thread that I assume is going to be in the event whereas a lot of the other ones i don't know if i necessarily got that vibe um yeah and you know the idea that wally's going to be dealing with stuff that the, the with barry missing like you didn't really need to set that up like we kind of just knew that like you know th- nothing was going to feel weird going to the next flash issue and like okay barry's missing and there's crisis stuff happening and i have to do something like it would have it would have flowed perfectly fine yeah. uh so you know um yeah, so this is a weird mixed bag of of uh, an issue to me. That I I I mean I, I suppose the, the the nicest thing I'll say about it is that it wasn't too much of a chore to read. 
but at the same time, I would also describe it as completely inessential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, that's why I kind of wish it was a countdown when we had a more of a, an actual thread that was tying them together. Mm. And almost a pariah story would have been a good one. Like, expand that a little bit um, and have him, you know, building up to the decision he makes or gets infected by the great darkness, you know, and he's, he's, these are different things that he's seeing in the buildup. I don't know, something along those lines, but yeah, it just feels like a mixed bag. Like you said, like they're just randomly thrown together because dark crisis, you know, yeah, I, I kind of feel like the, uh, the first three stories could have been combined into one where it's, it's like narration, like cuts between the various characters and you only like a page or two in each one rather than <laughs> yeah. trying to flesh them out into eight page stories. Right. And then the pariah story could have been done with like having a 20, 30 page, like proper, like exploration of him being corrupted and getting to the point where he's taken over by the great darkness with the power that he has in death of justice league. So yeah so it's it kind of like i'd say mishandles some of the things that it's doing um and likewise the final story i think just a couple of pages again and like sort of like a you know during the same way that rebirth one shot is the, it's the one that comes yeah. to mind where that the way that kind of like bounces around just showing you all the characters and they're, they're all only like a panel or a page each as it goes mm-hmm. around the dcu just sort of saying here's where people are like i feel like that's kind of what you wanted here is just to like go around and show how they're all dealing and coping with the apparent death of the justice league um and then the pariah story is the one that's separate that should be delved into more so yeah um yeah kind of a weird mixed bag that i wouldn't say kind of tackles the subjects that it's tackling in the right manner i feel like the the scope and the the style of comic should have been different to tackle it uh so i don't know yeah it's right (laughs) what are you reading about i'm I'm gonna give it 6.5 yeah, I was gonna go straight six. It's you, you know, it, I'd say it's inoffensive, but it's totally not essential. Yeah. It'd be where I land. Uh, all right, Action Comics Annual twenty twenty two. Philip K. Johnson and Cy Spurrier writing with Dale Eaglesham and Ian Churchill on the art. So, um, this is a you know fairly standalone. You know, it's not the next part of Warworld Saga. Mm-hmm. It's not you know the next part of that. It's a standalone story. Uh, it does tie into World War, World Saga because mm-hmm. there's some uh, backstory for the Mongol who is. Although, of course, in this, he's not the Mongol who is. He's the Mongol who will be, I suppose. Yep. Uh, they never actually say that out loud. Of course, I'm just calling them that. Uh, no, yeah. Um, it just it always makes me uh, just the, the the Mongol who was. You know, like that's that's how they all end up, right? So, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I I do love the story for the parallels on how their upbringing created them. Uh, yeah, so, so to explain what this story is, this is a, a childhood Clark story where he is, you know, what, 10 or whatever he is. Yeah. And it's basically the lessons that he gets from his mother because he cheats a little bit when he's playing uh, football. Soccer. Uh, or soccer, yes, for the, yep. the American crowd. Martha. Uh, and he uses a little bit of super breath and Martha notices and gives him some shit for it and uh, talks about why he can't cheat and clark talks about how there's this bully in his class who was you know being a shithead to other people and he felt it was the right thing to do and she's like no because maybe him scoring that goal would have made made his day and you can't you know you, you have to give people a chance to like feel those things and you don't earn anything if you choose your powers 
Uh, and then meanwhile, we also cut to War World and we see the, the current Mongol when he was younger, like the total opposite where his mother is like, oh, you're supposed to like be tough be and be a- They're him for not using his strength. Yeah, be a war zone and, yeah. you know, show no mercy, all that, you know, kind of stuff. Um, complete opposites. And you have these parallels. Uh, so you can sort of see what the book's going to be doing at this point and how it's going to play off these two, like, you know, counter things. Um, where it throws you for a loop, though, is when it cuts back to the, uh, the Earth stuff with Clark and Martha, is the, the little shithead bully who's convinced mm-hmm. Clark cheated, kicks the ball at them, and it hits uh, Martha, and it knocks off her wig, revealing that she has got cancer. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh shit, okay, we're doing something a little bit different here. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're, 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 we're adding something new to the backstory. And, you know, this really pisses off Clark, obviously, and he, he can't sleep that night. He's like, he's livid. He's mm-hmm. livid that uh, he did this to his mother. So he sneaks out and he goes to try and find him. And this other kid's dad is like a drunk and he's like berating him at the game for not winning. He calls him a sissy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he almost dies. He actually like drunk drives away after he like, yells at the kid. And young yeah. Clark actually, like, you know, runs out and stops him from driving into traffic, you know, in the cornfield. So very, like, sort of it, Smallville-esque Clark I was going to say, it reminded me of Smallville a bit um, in the cornfield with the truck and, and that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and, and obviously what it's doing here is it's showing you that, you know, this kid is the way he is because he's got a really horrible influence for a father. Um, right. And, and we got a little of that in the beginning part where Clark's telling Martha about, you know, his dad's there and he's always yelling at everybody, not just not just his kid. And, you know, he just his, his dad, you know, and, and then you get to find out why the dad's just an a-hole, terrible parent blames blames this kid for the mom leaving, you know. Yeah, and he's always drinking. You know, always Clark, drinking. Clark takes yeah. him to the hospital and, you know, drops him off. Obviously, the guy's knocked out the whole time, but he, he takes yeah. him to the hospital and drops him off so he can get help. But he looks in the window at one point and sees Martha getting like you know chemotherapy, and, um, you know, and we're, we cut back to War World through all the all this as well, uh, and show like a completely different style of parenting where uh, Mongol's mother, who you know, and he is like old Mongol's son, like you know Mongol mm-hmm. who was uh like basically had sex with this this woman and threw her aside, and this woman's like, no, you will prove that you're your father's son. And at one point, she, like, you know, grabs these, like, alien bug things and starts eating them and says, no, these are mine. You, if you want to survive, you get your own. And, you know, things like that. Uh-huh. So it's really setting up, like, these completely different styles of thing. And he, he goes and uh, catches this alien wolf-like thing. <laughs> and he throws it down in front of her and offers, like, some of the meat for her because she needs strength because she got hurt. And she slaps him and says, the war zone does not protect... Uh, and gets mad at him for showing sympathy. Um, so, I mean, if I have a critique of the issue, mm-hmm. and it's not because I, I don't think it's really good. Uh, yeah. And if I, I have two minor critiques of it. One is that it is maybe a little bit too much of paralleling going on because we have the parallel of the shitty human father as right. well as the shitty Warzone alien. Right. alien mother, right? And they're both valid in their own way. I don't know if I need them both in the same comic, though, is the only thing. No, but I get the point that the with the bully's dad, it's that this kid, like, is that Clark only, Clark wants to go, like, settle this kid's hash. And, like, Martha's like, well, you can't, because if he, 
he'll he'll break his hand if he punches you. Like you you cannot respond the way that he wants you to, right? And we have to get like why this kid's so shitty. It's not even his fault. It's he's a product of his environment. And so we get that with War World 2, but it's different. It's like this mom thinks she's being a good mom, right? Whereas the dad doesn't even think of the kid at all. Is she's doing this the all the wars in way that he's going to be better because of for it? For sure. You know, like you I, know? I get I get the reason for both comparisons because it's showing you that on War World, Mong that you know, the Mongol who's going to become Mongol, he mm-hmm. becomes that way because he actually does learn from his mother. And it was the right lessons in the context of War World to survive. Right. I understand that. Mm-hmm. It, but there was definitely some points though where I felt like we were doing two parallels at the same time. And yeah. I don't know if it just felt a little bit too much, but well, I I liked it because I was not expecting the the cancer thing. Like, oh I'd yeah, seen, that yeah, that threw me for a loop. Yeah, I wasn't I'd expecting seen that. some some stuff about you know Martha, and that adds to her character. And I was like, okay, something you know, there's there's a Ma Kent story in here, and then just that story and how she, you know, she's just playing it off as just part of life. And she's not, you know, panicking or anything to let Clark know. Like she's setting that example, you know. And so just to see the difference in parenting there too, that you know she's being not a martyr, but she's being strong and being this rock for you know for Clark because he's a kid and shouldn't have to worry about this. Versus the the terrible dad that's making the soccer game about him, right? He's like, oh, I can't believe you let that happen. It makes me look bad, you know. And I just and then you contrast that with War World and the different parents too that are going on there because uh, the thing that you kind of skimmed over with the War World is like there's a culling day and that you know they're going to kick them out of their group you know and to leave them in this this wasteland and you know this other mom that the you know other Warzone mom is talking about now what her son's really the, the true son of Mongol but no this other, you know she's putting it up in you know, it's through the wastelands that almost that the Mongol who will be is born, right? Um, and and because of you know the contrasting parenting, it's almost as if her being cold was kind of her plan because it was going to make him stronger. You know, but um, but yeah, no, just the the Martha stuff hit me especially. You know, I have my own mom issues at play, and just her, you know, reminding Clark about. You know, the strength is what you don't do, right? It's not always about being the strongest. It's about knowing you're the strongest and handling it better, you know? And that's uh, something my mom always tried to instill on me, and it's taken 36 years in a, in a, in a comic book, right, for all of that to come to a head. Um, and it just, yeah, I mean, I was not planning on crying at 9 o'clock last night uh, reading a comic book, and that, that shit just hit right in the, right in the gut. Yeah, when we go back to Earth, Clark is trying to cut his hair. He wants to shave his head to show that he's a... Uh, there's a gesture to show Solidarity. That, yeah, yeah, solidarity, whatever. Uh, but, like, you know, he breaks the, the big shears, he tries a chainsaw, that doesn't work. Um, which did lead to the question, like, well, your hair would be longer now if you'd never been able to cut it. So I was like, well, how have you been cutting it? <laughs> yeah, I think they're just going for the laughs, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I mean... It's a good question, though. How have they been cutting these? If 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 it can't be cut with any conventional methods, or right. I mean, and these aren't even conventional. These are these are pretty hefty things to be cutting yeah. here with. Uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. You know, I presume that when he's older, he uses his heat vision to uh, yeah. 
get it off, but there's, he doesn't have that. that funny moment in a comic where he's using his heat vision to shave. Yes. Or, through the mirror, and that always cracked me up. But he doesn't so. necessarily have that yet. Although that said, John got got it pretty early, uh, yeah. an early rebirth. So maybe maybe in this yeah. continuity, he has had it since he was like yeah, poor Goldie or something like that. Uh, so but you know, there's this thing where the next day he's playing the football again, and when the bully, uh, he gets mad because Clark sticks up for him when the other yeah. kids are picking on him, and he goes to punch Clark and. I do really like this here where you get like a few panels of the Billy punching Clark and it's sort of the fist is coming in and I love the expression in Clark's face which is if I just stand my ground his hand's going to break. It specifically pointed yep. that out earlier that that's what will happen mm -hmm. if this kid punches him. So he has to move with the punch and take it and make it look like he's hurt, right? He has to go down. He has to sell. Yeah, he has to sell. Yeah, to use a wrestling term, he has to sell yep. the punch. So sure enough, he goes down, and but I love the look in his face, like mid punch mm. when he just—it's almost like he looks at the camera, like <sighs> I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going I'm to have to take a dive here. Yep. And sure enough, he dives, and the kid laughs because he thinks uh, he got one over on him. Yeah. And then he calls him a sissy, the 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 Billy, but then he sort of like pauses as he says it because he kind of realizes mm -hmm. that he's acting like his father. Uh, and then Clark says, "You're not like him, Caleb." And he starts to, like, you know, he starts to give him a, a Superman speech, basically, yeah. where he's like, uh, "You know, you don't have to behave like him." Um, and it's kind of a sweet moment. Uh, and you know, so it, like it's all it's all good stuff, and it culminates in Clark's with his parents, and they're apologizing for not telling him, but they didn't want to worry him. Uh, although at this point it sounds like the can cancer's in remission and it's going to go away. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because, you know, if, if they were changing the backstory for to right. Martha dying at some point of, of cancer, we would have probably right. heard about it. Uh, so, in walks this kid. And I, I actually didn't notice at first because he did have, because I actually went back and checked, like, how hairy was this kid before? Because he did, like, if you go back and check, yeah, he, was always wearing his, he was always wearing his hat, but he's, he always had, like, hair coming out from underneath his yeah. hat. So I just a little bit, not, not a lot. But I didn't notice at first at the start of this page that he comes in the hat and then he pulls he apologizes for what he did with the ball earlier in the issue and he pulls off his hat and it's this moment of solidarity. And I don't actually know if there's an implication here that Clark said he was going to do this to the because that's what he was trying to do earlier. He was trying to cut his hair to Yeah, well it's it's because the kid's visiting the hospital because that's where his dad is, and mm -hmm. he sees Martha there. And so that's how I took it, is that he saw what Martha was going through, and then this is, like, his apology, is because he's going to show solidarity, like, you know, because he did... But we, but we don't really see that he sees Martha's at the hospital, though. You're, you're kind of, like, making... You're not making yeah, it up, but you're, you're, you're kind of... You're just adding that, that in yourself, though. What, the the yeah. way Clark sort of looks at him, though, kind of... Like, either this is thematic, just, like, a big coincidence that he has the same idea that Clark did, or Clark actually mentioned to him that he was thinking of doing this for his mother. And obviously we knew he couldn't because he tried uh, mm -hmm. and failed miserably. So, what are you looking for? Yeah, I'm, I'm going back and, and seeing. Because, yeah, because they said, we sorry, we didn't explain sooner. Yeah. Uh, Apologies, yeah. I, don't, I guess I just filled that in myself because he was at the hospital at the same time as um, the Kents. So... Huh. Well, I'm proud of myself for filling that in. That's how I'm going to take this. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a very nice moment, you know, because 
it's this kid that shows that he does have good, and it's because of Clark seeing the good in him that he realized it was there, you know. Um, and again, it's a, like you said, it's a very Superman moment, right? Uh, of Clark talking to this kid and giving him the compassion he so desperately needs, you know, and not resorting. That That is the strength at play here, is that he's the stronger person for seeing that in uh, Caleb. Yeah. Um, so, I'm wondering, were you confusing the earlier scene where it's Clark seeing Martha get in the chemo? No, maybe. Maybe. Because that's at the I'm hospital, con- but that's Clark who's seen it, because he's, he's yeah, just dropped maybe off I'm the dad. the two, and I'm just, yeah. you know. That's what I'm thinking um, you maybe did. Sure, but but that's still, I mean, I, I don't think it, it lessens the moment, you know, at all. That if the kid was, was there because his dad's at the hospital, you know. Because sure. he, he is at the hospital. I don't think he went seeking out the Kents just because, you know. Like, the kid has a reason for being there. Uh, presu- well, presumably, but he, you know, it's not like he shaved his head at the hospital. No, but I'm just saying, like, the reason that he knew she was going through stuff beyond Clark saying something. Because I don't feel like Clark just telling them, like, hey, my mom has cancer. Well, I don't you think know. I don't think he had to tell him per se. Like he saw he, he saw the wig come off. Like you yeah. know, he he cracked jokes about it. Right. Um. But like you know, so he already saw her like that then, and he probably felt guilty about it. Um. Which is why I don't think he needs to see her at the hospital. Uh. So you know, and I don't think there's an implication that he necessarily did see her at the hospital. Um. So, but anyway, uh, you know, the stuff in uh, War World, of course, has a very different outcome. Where you know Mongol, who's going to be actual, leaves his mother for dead, uh, and it's after she actually jumps in to save him from a monster, mm-hmm. and like you know, and he kind of questions this, like uh, you know, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to jump in to save me. That's what you've been teaching me not to do. Yeah. He says, you, you know, we don't protect, and he's like, why? And she says, well, because Mongol, who is he, did this to us. He cursed, you know, he cast us out, and he put put us into this life you need to, like, kill him. Like, you know, that's why, you know, so it's all for revenge. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I will. And then the next time we see him and he, he's accepted back into, like, the tribe or whatever, um, you know, he says, yeah, I left her behind because she protected, you know, she she did not act like Warzone. So it's kind of like he's kind of become as cold as her, you know, by the end. So, but this is what he needs to be to survive. And ultimately, I mean, he becomes Mongol. So he, you know, he succeeds. He he reaches the throne. Effectively, he becomes the most powerful being on War World. So, job well done, I guess, Mongol mummy. Right. Oh yeah. So they're they're talking about the Mongol who is so the current Mongol who is, you know, uh, best at a bull mammoth, fully grown, um, and that's what the Mongol who will be. That's what he does too. Yes. And so it's it's setting up that um, they you know the mom sacrifices herself, um, with this monster, so and he's able to defeat it. And it's almost like a him following in his father's footsteps, but now it's in order to kill him and be the, his reckoning. Um, yeah, it is interesting to show that at one time Mongol, who is did have more compassion, and it was stamped out of him by was, his mother. Because that's how he's going to have to climb the ladder, right? Because he can't, you know, he he can't show weakness, or else he'll never be the Mongol. He'll never be Mongol. Oh, sure, but I, I mean more for the comparison of like just. The idea that that was once there, right. um, it just it adds more dr- drama to the idea that he is so adamant. And he, I'm not expecting Superman to talk him down and make him see no. compassion again, 
but I think it adds some drama that it was once there and it'll never come back again. It makes it makes him this tragic kind of villain in, in a way. Um, well, so. yeah, because he's he's forced to kill his mom too, so that's almost like that is the death of his compassion, right? Oh, very possibly, is, yeah. Is he? Yeah, he he walks out of the that you know creature. Um, yeah, you can and, even call that a parallel as well. Is that on yeah. Earth, like Clark is there and like wants to help his mom fight the cancer. Mm-hmm. Where in Warworld, oh, you're injured. I will put you out your misery you're with done. the blade. Right. <laughs> you know, just, right. so there's there's a bit of a contrast there with that as well. Uh, obviously, back in Earth, uh, and you know, more present day or close to present day times, because obviously in present days on Warworld, but Superman like goes and sees what you know this grown up Billy's doing now, and he's working with uh, troubled kids. Um, and it's you know it's kind of a nice like hey he grew up to be someone good and he's still wearing the same well not exact same hat but he's still wearing yeah. a hat yeah uh so it's you know it's a, it's, a, it's a nice story um yeah it's it's funny because I'm of two minds if I'm shaving his head actually because again it's a payoff to Clark try to do it and not been able to mm-hmm. but I do think um it is a maybe just a touch on the overlay like sentimental drama side. Uh, I I think like the scene afterwards where Superman goes to see what he does now as an adult and he's this good person helping kids. I think that mm-hmm. like sells like oh this um this this moment where Clark stood up for him and told him that he doesn't have to be like his father. Like I think seeing what he's become tells mm-hmm. me like how important that was to who he became. That you don't necessarily need to have this big grand gesture that he does for Martha necessarily. That's maybe just like going a little too into the the mushy side. But I still respect it for why it's doing. I get yeah, that it's a payoff. No, it, it, by the time I got to that point, I was already a mess. So, yeah. you know, it so, just it just pushed it along. I, I maybe would have reined in the sentimental just a touch, right? I, you know, I appreciate what it's doing, and I do think it's a really strong issue, and it, it did hit me in the feels in multiple points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I may have just reined that in just, just a smidge. But, uh, like I said, that, that was my two things. It was that, and then yeah. maybe just, like, uh, kind of the three-way parallels a little bit. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Bad Parenting 101, <laughs> as told by uh, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson and Cy Spurrier, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, I mean, like I say, I understand what it's doing, because you're getting good parenting on Earth, bad parenting on yeah. Earth, and then good parenting yeah. on more world. And you're right. kind of comparing the differences between the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do wonder if it'd have been neater if it was either just Clark and the Billy and comparing the parenting between them, or just here's good parenting with Clark on Earth, and then here's good parenting with Mongol, who will be <laughs> on Mongol. Well, and Mongol. I like too, but I like the, the parallel between Mongol and Clark is that the, who they were got set early, right? It's almost, it sets them on a collision course. Uh, the immovable, you know, sobble force, immovable object of it all. Um, oh, sure. Started in childhood. Um, but yeah, no, I, I the war world stuff too is just so brutal. You know, uh, when he gets to the end and, um, you know, he is Mongol and he sells that knife, right? And he, you know, he, he fights the, uh, yeah, he, uh, he goes, he kills all of those, you know, the, the cannibals, right? And he emerges back to his people after, you know, time has passed. I liked all that too, because it really submit to, you know, what the world world culture is yeah obviously on the art like uh, basically the art is a split between earth and mm-hmm. war world which is yep. makes it really easy to transition between them so any mm-hmm. differences do feel kind of natural because they're on different planets 
Uh, to be honest, though, I do think they complement each other quite well, though. I never yeah. really felt any jarring differences when I was going back and forth between them, uh, even yeah. though they do look different. Um, uh, the colours are very different on Warworlds, so a lot of harsh reds and oranges and all that stuff. Uh, Earth's a lot more natural tones, there's more greens and blues and all mm-hmm. sorts. Um, but warmth at times, you know, uh, yeah. some, some of the scenes towards the end, you know, Superman, when he's in the costume, flying above, he's very vivid and the sun behind him is like sort of setting and it's very that magic hour kind of thing yeah um but you know it's very expressive and i'd be totally down for either of these artists like continuing to do superman yeah which i definitely would have said for eaglesham before i don't yeah. know if i remember ian churchill from any other books but i like his work in this i feel like ian churchill's done a lot of flash i'm gonna look because yeah. i feel like we've said that name a lot I don't know. I don't know if we have. I, don't, like it sounds, I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know if it's come up a uh, lot. No, because it was through Titans. So he did some Titans, some Supergirl. Uh, uh, it's just a name that I'm familiar with. Um, so maybe Supergirl's where I I noticed them then. Yeah, he's done Wonder Woman. Uh, he's done. Yeah, there's a lot of um pre New Fifty Two stuff. Okay. So yeah, early to mid. 2000s a lot of marvel looking here yeah a lot on, of early marvel. honestly i'm not saying this is good but i definitely got some gary frank vibes from some of the art yeah. in this mm-hmm. which i really yeah. appreciate yeah well i was i was feeling the frank stuff in the the smallville and i just don't know if it's the the coloring or or what um it's it's it's, it's the face it's the way he draws yeah. the faces uh although i don't yeah. know if that, I think that's, um, I thought Eaglesham was doing Earth and it was uh, Churchill doing uh, yeah. War World, but if you tell yeah. me it's the other way around, I won't argue with you too much. Yeah, I'm trying to look for some Telltale. So it does feel like Eaglesham's doing the War World stuff, right? I assumed it was the other way around, but I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean I'm not actually sure. Well, yeah, I mean. Which is a credit that the artist, the art, is is similar even though it's a little different uh yeah because the, the biggest difference is the coloring more than anything else uh but uh it's very good throughout like i i really found no issues uh with it yeah, no. the entire time it was very expressive mm-hmm. uh it was constantly like like i say a little clark definitely felt like a, a gary frank-esque mm-hmm. little clark uh so yeah I mean, it's, a, it's an extremely good issue. I, it's it's one of those things where I have a couple of slight things with it, but it's it's they're, they're very minor in the grand scheme of things, and uh, the emotion ultimately hits, and it does well, very separate and fairly standalone. It does kind of add like a, a nice bit of flavor to the War World saga because it does include the comparison with Mongol. So, um, it's and so much of War World saga has been. Yeah how Clark is trying to inspire people to, to, to rise against Mongol mm-hmm. and how the the beliefs in War World are these polar opposites where it is we have to fight to get more chain links because that's how right. we're strong and that's how we thrive and we, we don't feel that like we want to be saved and you know freed from Mongol. Right, uh, so they are uh, they the system that is imprisoning them is also empowering them. Right? Yeah, but, yeah, but the point I'm making here is that uh, this this issue is showing those differences right baked in from the start of their lifespans. Right. So, you know, the, right. right from childhood, they're 
are drilled in with these beliefs from the get-go. Um, so it, it does it does fit nicely as a companion issue to that uh, story. I, I don't know where in the trade you put this necessarily. Yeah, uh, that's a weird. Maybe maybe as like an interlude in between. I, I think you have to be. It'd, it'd probably be before yeah. the last issue because the last issue action yeah. was uh, the start of the next like sort of yeah. arc in Warworld saga. So yeah. I suspect that they'd put it in between uh, the two parts. So, so. so real quick, just for some clarity on this was. Uh, I looked it up, and it was Philip Kennedy Johnson and Dale Eaglesham did the did the Smallville Superman story, and then Cy Spurrier and Churchill did. Oh, so the I was right, I was right on the art. Yep. That's cool. You okay. were so, um, and yeah, and they split it along those lines and then put it together. So uh, at least that's according to CBR. That's what I I found as you were talking. So, but yeah, no, I I love this issue, and again, I wasn't ready for it to hit me the way that it did. Um, so yeah, especially with the, the mom stuff and, and Ma Kent and, you know, just, I felt like her hair was weird. And then when you find out that it's a wig, it, it everything dawns on you that, you know, like, oh man. So, so yeah, no, I just really enjoyed the story. Will you rate National Comics Annual 2022? I'm giving this a nine. Yeah, I'll probably 8.5 just because I do have those couple of little things but uh it is a very good issue and it, I, I you know this is a good annual like you sometimes it come out of an annual feeling like it's, like it's tacked on they just wanted an excuse to have an annual this mm-hmm. is a bit more like oh no that's justified it's it's price of admission this, this actually worked really well uh and i appreciate that it's one big story and it's not like a couple of short stories so yeah. uh no good stuff so there you go um the Nice House in the Lake, issue 9, James Tyne in the fourth writing, Alvaro Martinez Bueno on mm-hmm. the art. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, this is kind of continuing doing what, what it's been doing. Uh, the cliffhanger last issue was the, the one character discovers the, uh, you know, dis- discovers the, the, the glass. The and finds the writer between the glass, right? Sh- sure, yes. And they're using the steam to, like, you know, write messages and... Uh, what's what's the the writer's name that's behind the glass again? Uh, Nora. Nora. Yeah. So Nora's writing messages saying, "Hey, Walter's lying. I was there for the first month, but then everything like the memories got all reset, and like the rest of the world's destroyed." And is explained, and that sort of comes up. Like every so often, we go back to a page of just like messages on this this mirror or this window, and elsewhere though, we're getting just more of the their their designing buildings, Reggie's designing buildings. And we're focusing largely on the one who's like the physical therapist or the uh, the acupuncturist. Acupuncturist, yeah. Um, so it's uh, yeah, there's just some interesting kind of flavor here. I would say this issue probably advances things less so than some of the other issues. Although certainly the idea that that Nora is convincing Walter to mm-hmm. let her be a part of these decisions because. Right. Clearly, Walter's going to voice like and sort of like de- decompress with Nora because Nora knows what's going on. So uh-huh. he's going there on a regular basis to like just talk about everyone and you know why is it not working? Why are they still obsessing about going home? And she's like, they're never like it's not. It's going to take more than months for them to give that up. They want to get home. Yeah. They want to find out what's going on. And she's like, look, you keep wanting me to help with these decisions, but you're not actually giving me any chance to, as she puts it, like 
I need to be able to pull the lever, right? I need to, I need to have the choice to pull the lever, even if I'm not going to do it. For me to make proper decisions here, I can't just be this prisoner that has no effect on anything. And it seems like by the end, Walter's not going to give her complete control or give her all the information, but he's going to show her something. That's the cliffhanger at the end. En- enough. Yeah, enough that... See, but the- Nora has a plan of her own by telling the artist, right? Oh, sure, yeah. Nor- Nora's certainly got like an ulterior thing going, and but... That, all, I- all I could think of was, right, that the first character we met, right, was Nora, and doing this, you know, monologue as everything is burning down around them. And uh, I just think that that's, that's our endpoint, right? And so, like, what what is Nora's ultimate plan with Walter here, right? Is it like, is it to convince Walter that what he's doing, like, you got to have people have their choice, right? You can't control them. But I do like that Tynan ramps up the stakes here by Walter admitting, like, if this doesn't work, everyone's dead. It's, you know, it's all for nothing. That we need this to work, and I feel like that's the thing that that clicks into Nora, right? Um, and, and to kind of get those gears turning. To I need to be the one to, you know, not the one to pull the lever, but I need to see what's going on here to help you. I need the bigger picture. Um, yeah, he's not yeah. really sure everything, but the you know the mm-hmm. issue ends with like basically him taking her into kind of this, uh, you know, this sort of I don't want to say another dimension, but like kind of like a like the the black behind like reality that he yeah. moves through. Um, he called it the backstage. Right? Yeah, the backstage is what he calls it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is where he lives. And she says she can't see anything, and neither can we, we just see black. And mm-hmm. he says, no, nothing that your eyes would, would see or that your mind could comprehend. So, you know, it's again hinting at that he's either this, like, if not an alien, maybe he's from another dimension. And this yeah, is like, ultra-dimensional. Yeah, maybe he's, like, maybe he's like a fifth-dimensional being, like a yeah. mix of pit like or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's very interesting, but you you do see that the the artist is running up into this like hexagonal like opening that they've just walked into because it ends with you know we get this silhouette of them walking into this hexagon, and you just see the artist like running up behind and chasing into this this door. So the yeah. artist is in pursuit. So clearly Nora has said this is happening. You need to follow and like you know give us an advantage here. So she's going to try and get the upper hand. It does kind of feel like it's it's uh. It's going to be futile. In fact, one one of the things that uh, happens earlier in the issue is Walter has one of his freak out moments where he snaps at her and like yeah. goes, you know, he goes all red and like you know, uh-huh. um, cause, cause she, Yeah, she's she's criticizing. Uh, you know, you've managed everything perfectly so far. She's been sarcastic. Uh, when he's like complaining that everything's not working, and he, he you know, the, the panel's bright red, and he kind of goes like distorted and says, "Then hell, we do better, Nora." And it, mm-hmm. you can almost imagine the modulation on his voice, like the dis- yeah. distortion, is like, uh, like you know him getting angry and it sounding demonic. So really fun stuff. Um, I would say the reason why this issue doesn't feel like it advances as much as some of the other ones, even though I really enjoyed it, is because the the rest of the characters, what they discover throughout this issue, is something they actually already discovered before their memories got wiped. <laughs> yeah, they get hurt. <laughs> yeah, because uh, because um... before it was someone trying to commit suicide and they found out that it right. wouldn't work. Here, it's basically through the acupuncture. Um, the needles keep popping out, and they don't understand why, so they, they get everyone yeah. together and say, okay, look, this is what's happening. And then, you know, the, Reggie tried it on himself and noticed that his wound would just he- uh, heal, so he, he just grabs a knife and he cuts, he slices his hand, and then they all watch it heal. And yeah. it's like, okay, so they're starting to discover some of the stuff they discovered before, which is interesting, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is kind of a repeated beat for us as as the reader. So yeah, but but I like that because it's it's us also remembering, right? That they've discovered this mm. uh, before, and also the the whole so the plot with the acupuncturist is that he's got to be like when it comes to Walter, like uh, his the, his partner who I forget the name. I'm drawing Sam, right I think. Now. Sam, right? is that Sam gets super pissed with Walter all the time, and Walter almost, like, kind of revels in it, and then the acupuncturist has to be the one that, like, that plays nice with Sam to Walter, because he knows that Walter, you know, means the best for Sam, because they are old friends, but there's there's something about Walter that he revels in the fact that he can, you know, he knows who Sam really is, and that Sam, you know, puts on this persona amongst other people, but the ones that are close to us really know, close to him, really know who he is. And, you know, and it, it, it really drives that with Walter here. That, you know, it feels like that's the same with Nora, that Nora knows Walter, you know, like Walter knows Sam. So I like those those parallels here. And that it's the acupuncturist who's kind of on the outside, right? He's not in the inner circle, but he's right on the outside inner circle. Um, of the group so he has the you know the outsider's view of everything um but yeah yeah obviously the stuff with walter and nora and the artists like getting the intel is by far the the more interesting like segments of this issue it's the exciting part right it's the it's the, this is the stuff that's like you know going to move the plot forward and like sort of and you know further expand the the discoveries and like you know i mean you know it makes next issue very exciting uh mm-hmm. Uh, I was also as a brief scene actually where uh, one of the other couples, uh, the doctor lady who does most of the cooking, mm-hmm. is complaining yeah. that she spent you know years in medical school and ended up oh. being the chef. And it's it's one of these small moments where Walter's like watching and listening to this and realizing yeah. that people aren't happy and they're still thinking about going back and yeah. then they, you know they want to go home. Uh, they miss their you know that's what she said. I miss my life. I miss my work. And it does make sense that you can understand the logic of having someone there who's a doctor, but at the same time, there's only you know a dozen of them. You wouldn't need the doctor services as a doctor that often if there's only twelve people, you know. And like, they can't get hurt, which if they can't get hurt, that's true. Yeah, yeah, she's sick. redundant in a way. Yeah, <laughs> which it means to like, what is Walter's plan? Was it really like he needed a doctor, or he wanted his friend? And is that why it's not working? Is because of his own, you know, his own selfishness? Well, I, I don't know if it's so much that because obviously they're all very different different sets of skills. Because that's one of the things we talked about last issue is that because he swapped the people, the new mm-hmm. the person that he replaced the other person with, it feels kind of redundant because now there's two like, arty people. Right. Um, so it feels like more... He had to fill a quota by having someone who had these skills, but the skills aren't actually that necessary because they've magically made everyone be, you know... Right. Un, you know, unkillable or un... Like, right. I mean, maybe they can still get sick, but maybe not. I don't know. Like, we don't know yeah. the answer to that we don't know yet but yeah and you look at like why would you need an acupuncturist because everyone's going to get stressed and they're there right. to but so if everyone's going to get stressed right maybe you would find a therapist not someone who drives needles into people's skin to relieve pressure points you know what i mean so it, I mean, it tells me that there's there's big flaws in walter's plan yeah i mean maybe that's the point of this is that yeah. maybe it's pretty well thought out but there's these little quirks that he didn't yep. predict and he's like Oh, like this is someone who is going to very quickly discover that they can't, like, you know, 
puncture anyone's skin in a very innocent way. He's not trying to stab anyone. It's just acupuncture. Right. But well, and then Reds even talks about how like I don't like needles, right? Mm. And so, but he needs to unwind, and you know, so that's why you know, so so you can understand the the logic that Walter's using, but like you said, there's these things like almost oversights. Yeah, he didn't quite think of. Yeah, I don't. I mean, plot holes isn't the right word, but it's almost no. like little plot holes in his plan. Uh, where just things don't quite link up yeah. as nice as they should. Yeah, I, um, a word that I would not associate with this book is plot hole, right? No, I feel like no. It's very well thought out down to the... Uh, my use of that said. phrase is not perfect, and it's also very contextual to what I'm talking about here. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, that is some interesting details that are, that are cropping up from that stuff. It's a very good issue, and obviously the art is phenomenal as it's been uh, throughout. Uh, all all the stuff, especially with Walter and Nora, is very moody, and you kind of get this feeling of his frustration, and that everyone, even though they're not freaking out like they did the first time, because they don't know that their world's been destroyed, mm-hmm. in theory, if it really has been destroyed, because right. uh, I still question that, but because uh, even in this scenario where they should be happier, they're still, A, they want to go back to the world, but they're also still very curious about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Why are they stuck here? What are the rules exactly? Yeah, so and so on. The whole idea that they built this treehouse that has an antenna so they can hear stuff from the outside shows that they still want to know. That's right? still their key goal, you know. It makes you think yeah. of it makes you think of it like when you're watching Lost and like everything mm-hmm. they do in those first like few seasons is all about trying to communicate with the outside world. It's all about trying right. to find a way off the island. It's all about trying right. to leave. So so I mean, are they gonna have a Charlie moment? Right? Like where where it's not exactly what they think. And how are they going to respond? You know, uh, but there's what? There's two issues left after three? Three tonight? issues. Three issues left. Yeah. So there's still a lot to go, right? Like we're, we're three quarters of the way through this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, no, yeah, but very good stuff. Uh, what are you giving Nasus and the Lake issue nine? I'm going to give us an eight. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to go with the 8.5. I thought it was very good. It, like, I probably started off sounding like I was more negative than I ever have been, just because I said that it wasn't as advancing as some of the other issues, but it's still very, very good, and the exciting stuff is super exciting, so uh, nice to like issue 9. Uh, 8.5 for me. So, uh, I do have a Patreon book that I'm going to talk about every month to patreon.com slash TV. some of the higher tiers can make myself con- or Connor read a book. Uh, so, and I've, I've typically had two recently, and one of them's been American Vampire. Uh, this is issue 26 of American Vampire, uh, which is the first part of a two-part story. It's the end of the fourth trade, uh, these last two issues. So, uh, issue 26, uh, we're interested in a new character, Calvin, uh, who is a black character. We're still in the 50s, it is 1954. And so much of this is, like, him encountering racism of the era and, uh, you know, the motel he goes to at the start says, you know, uh, you know, people of colour are only welcome on weekdays. And he goes in and he notices all these little things, like, the room that he's given is a ver- would be a room that would be very easy to rob and for someone to leave at the back onto the, onto the busy road. And um, he immediately encounters these racist assholes when he goes for a swim um, who what he shoot at him in the water. Uh, but he, he says, you've got one chance to leave or I'm going to kill you all. He's like, oh, how are you going to do that? And he jumps out and he's a vampire. Uh, you know, not surprising. I'm reading American Vampire. Uh, <laughs> but we also learn that he works for the vassals, that he is hunting other vampires and that... Um, 
very very blade yeah, obviously the idea that they've they've got some vampires on staff, and he is an American vampire of some kind because he's walking about during the daytime, um, and all the rest of it. Uh, not that they'll do, I mean, some some other vampires can still do that in this this universe as well, but uh, you know. Yeah, I feel like the Carpathians can't, right? Yeah. They're the more traditional what we think of as vampires. But uh, he, you know, he talks about how he's a, a taxonomist, uh, which is identifying things and. One of the things, that he, how he sort of talks about the racism in his narration is that he's always hoping to see or find something new and identify something new, but he's sad that he ultimately you have to expect that you've encountered everything already and that there's not really anything you left. So the part of the sadness of the issue is that as he keeps noticing things that might be new, he keeps noticing the little signs that the racism's still there. So it's very much like a... I wouldn't say it's just subtext because it very much becomes part of the plot at points as well, but... Uh, there is a lot of like just like viewing it through that lens um, throughout, and how it's no different just because he's a vampire. So uh, you know what he's like. You know these old vets are staring at him, even though they're seemingly being nice. Uh, but the the big sort of character bit of the story is that he's here in town not just for business, but he's actually seeing his little brother who's in like a like a quartet. As uh, a quartet, it's a mixed quartet. Uh, which, you know, we wouldn't even notice now or mention, mm-hmm. but, like, it's two, it's two black guys and two white guys. Uh, and they're in the South, and they're going to be performing at something. And his brother, like, sees him briefly, and or thinks he sees him, and, like, runs out into the alley to try and find him. But our main character, Calvin, hides. And the idea is that he's clearly not supposed to be seen by him, or, what, or doesn't want to be seen by him, but he still wants to keep tabs on him and sort of see him perform. So, you know, you kind of get, you get a lot of the, the subtext or the implications of what the relationship is. May, either maybe they were estranged before, or maybe it's just because he's become a vampire that he wants to stay away from him. But um, in the alley, these young guys like come up to him, these young white guys, and it sounds like they're being threatening because he's like, "I've got a warning for you. You and your you're, you're connected to that music group. Uh, you've got a warning for your you and your friends uh, may all die tonight if you go to that gig." And it definitely presents like he's he's the racist guy who's like you know making a threat. And then the veterans come in and they're like, oh, young man, are you bothering our guest here in town? And then, you know, Calvin even says in his narration that he's surprised. He didn't expect these old guys to come in and stick up for him. Um, and, you know, he says, like, you know, we recognize one of our own. He's like, our own. He's like, it starts with a V. And he's about to say vampire. And then the guy's like, a veteran, because you've got these army boots on. And like, huh. it, so it's, there's a lot of like playing with your expectations in this. Um, and then the big twist of the issue is that when he's driving, uh, so he's following his brother and, he, and their quartet, they're in the car going to the gig, and he's following them in a car behind, and he notices the young guys in a car that seemingly threatened them earlier uh, coming after, and he actually, like, you know, swerves the car, he makes the car crash, and the young guy comes out, <coughs> pardon me, and it turns out that this guy was trying to warn them because the vets and the other people in this town are vampires and they invite people because uh, they're racist, they invite either black groups or mixed race groups to perform in this oh, southern no. town so they can kill them and it's all just like a trap uh, so it turns out this young guy was actually trying to warn them and uh, he's not you know, he's not the racist scumbag, it's the old guys that were the racist, the racist vampires and they're like, hey, we like the music and then we like to kill them, that's, that's what we do uh and he calls, you know, he calls him, what does he call him? Something horrible, I'm sure. 
because uh, there was racial slurs early in the issue so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't pull back from the the harshness of it in the issue uh but this guy turns into a full-on kind of monstrous vampire this old guy uh, and that's very much the cliffhanger of the issue um i really like joe, joe was so nice about this story is uh, obviously it's got a lot of uh you know political commentary it's talking about race issues in the in the 50s uh it's it's using the vampire to kind of magnify some of those issues um so that's cool and it's it's nice that that's there and it's also a very different perspective than we've had in this book because it's mostly been white characters up until this point but what i really liked about this is because it is so plot heavy and there's so much like good character stuff where it's like teasing one thing and the character's so paranoid about everyone around him because he's used to being treated this way and it sort of you know sets up that there's racist early on and then you get this guy who you think is being like racist and threatening uh but it's you know then it, tw- it twists you and the guys who were being nice turn out to be the actual like monsters and you know it's, it's setting up this idea that you don't really know for sure who the monsters are and that works both in the vampire sense but also in the you don't know who the racists are you don't know who who the decent people are going to be and who the assholes are going to be it's not 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 all the racists are like upfront about it you know some of them right. shield their beliefs some of them like are more coy and sly about it and conniving um but just just in comparison to the, the last story which was so quick paced and it was so action orientated with less plot this was like a complete change of pace where it was like no no this is going to set up a lot of details and it's going to you know set your expectations and play with them and swear of you and it was a nice change from the last story, which that last four issue arc was so, um, like light and fun, relative to like the rest of the stories in the book. This was really nice to go into something that felt a bit more dense and just had a bit more meat to it. Um, which is not to downplay the last story; it's just very different. Mm-hmm. So it felt very fresh. So that's cool. Uh, you know, and the the art is 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 pretty solid. I'm just going back to see. Who, I don't think this is Albuquerque on this uh, this issue. Definitely looks different. So I'm just going to go back and see who that was. But um, yeah, right away there was a, there was a lot of great shadows because you know we, Calvin's walking about with his hat on. So it, often there's like a shadow going down to like just under his eyes. So you only see up to like maybe like his nose. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, mood. Yeah. So it's Roger Cruz who's the art on this issue. Um. I'm a little concerned that the next issue, which is the second half of it, it's got a different artist. It's Ricardo uh, Bercelli, who's in the second issue. So I wonder what the shift of the art's going to be like. But uh, I do think this is a very strong character issue that gives a different perspective. Um, not only of like vampires, but of the time period. Uh, which, you know, and, you know, the certainly this book's dealt with a lot of sexism before. You know, Peril's whole journey at the start was very much, like, just dripping in that. Um, and, you know, villainous characters, of course, were all but Skinner's like a complete bastard most of the time, <laughs> but, uh, it was nice to get this very different, uh, viewpoint in the world from this one, and it fits so well because this book has been going through different types of characters in different, these different eras of America that it, it just makes sense to, to deal with this at some point, um, and it's nice that it, it works so well, uh, so, so cool. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I'm like it's not as good as Albuquerque's art. That that is like the one thing is that it's a bit cleaner. Uh, Roger Cruz's art compared to Albuquerque, it's maybe not quite as good on the the the, the horror elements because of that. Like I say, there's some good shadowing, and I feel like a lot of that's the anchor. I and mean, I'm sure it's in the pencils as well. But like, 
when you look at those solid black kind of like you know inky spots so like the face when he's in shadow or or whatever it looks really good and adds a lot to the book um but this is probably one of the best stories in american vampire yet uh i wouldn't say the best but it's one that was up there so i'm pro i'm probably just hmm. I want to give it a 9, but I'm, I'm kind of tempted to drop it to 8.5 just because I don't think the art's as good as it often is in the book. So I'll, I'll go 8.5, but it's a really good, really good issue. So that is issue 26 of American Vampire. I liked it a lot. So uh, one last issue in the, I think it's the fourth trade, yeah, that one. So uh, good stuff. But that is, uh, that is American Vampire issue 26. So that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and top five books, although there was only four, so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll rank the four books instead. Uh, what is your panel slash moment of the week, Matt? So mine's going to be from the Action Comics annual, and it's when uh, Martha tells young Clark that, you know, strength's not, the, you know, uh, strength's not throwing the punch, it's, it's you know, strength's not, or strength is getting back up. Right. Um, and so it's over two pages and it's after she's had her wig knocked off and Clark's super upset with Caleb and it's just, her, you know, her being very maternal and instilling this thing in Clark that he's going to take with him into war world, you know, decades later. And it's just, it's a really good emotional beat. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to go with the action, uh, but I'm going with young Clark's taking the punch. I think that, like, four or five panels of the punch coming in and him realizing that he has to go down because that's the right thing to do uh, and getting back up and saying you don't have to be like him. I think that's that segment uh, is my favorite moment of the week. So uh, that's what I'm going with. What about cover of the week, Matt? Uh, uh, this might end up being a clean sweep. Uh, is the action comics uh, Frank Avila? Is it Frankavilla? Yeah, I think so. I look like Frankavilla to me, yeah. Yep, it's just got these these colors, you know, working for it. It's in that Frankavilla style. Um, it, oh man, it's, it's just really good. Yeah, I'm just uh, glancing at the the various covers just now. Um, Although the variant for action is great, also because it's a take on Action Comics number one. Mm. Um, Steve. Um, the Mikhail Yannin cover for Shadow War Omega is uh is not bad. I'll say that much. Um, I think I'll probably go with the main cover for Nice House in the Lake though, uh, which okay. is uh the, the acupuncture is sitting in like a sauna, but it's like the the oh, water God. and the pool is just blood. Yeah, it's like a bloodbath. Uh, it just does a good nice mood to it. Uh, yeah. I really dig it. So uh, I want to shining ass. Hmm, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, so, alright, best art of the week, Matt. Action Comics. I'm conflicted, because I, I I think Nice House and the Lake and Action Comics could, uh, go mm-hmm. toe-to-toe here a little bit. Yeah. Um. Bueno's very consistent, but the, just the fact how action is balanced, and each of the artists feels, you know, particular to each story in action, put it over. I think I'm going to go with action as well, uh, just by a smidge, and I think the reason for it is because it was, like, it was a little Gary Frank, and I I think mm-hmm. it's something I've not had as much of recently. Whereas obviously Alvaro's been very consistent, mm-hmm. and I've picked Nice House in the Lake a lot when it's been those weeks. So yeah. I think for the sake of it just being a little different and getting something that I've we've not had as much of, specifically in terms of style, uh, I'll go with 
uh, action, which is mm-hmm. Eaglesham and Churchill. So, and I think uh, that's the impressive part, I think, as well, is that both are very good and complement yeah. each other quite well, uh, which is not always the case mm-hmm. when you have two artists. So, uh, very good. All right, rank your books, Matt. So, number one, Action Comics Annual. Number two, um, Shadow War Omega. Number three, Nest House on the Lake. Number four, Justice League, Road to Dark Crisis. Yeah, uh, number one for me is Action Comics. Number two is Nice House in the Lake. Number three, Shadow War Omega. And number a distant number four, might I add, is uh, Road to Dark Crisis. So, easy peasy. Uh, week five is always a little bit weird. I would say that uh, I very much enjoyed three of my four books. So, you know, it's not mm-hmm. bad for week five, but week fives no. are always a little bit weird, just inherently. So, it is what it is. So I will now tell you what is coming up next week from DC Comics. We have Batman 124, Dark Knights of Steel issue 7, Dark Crisis issue 1, so it's a big week just for that alone, I suppose. Uh, Flashpoint Beyond issue 2, <laughs> Batman Killing Time issue 4, Batman Beyond Neo Year issue 3, Poison Ivy issue 1. Oh, Matt's rubbing his hands at that, literally. Uh, mm-hmm. DC Pride 2022 issue 1 so that's the big one shot with um, mm-hmm. like 100 pages of story uh, Aquaman Andromeda issue 1 okay I'm actually really looking forward to that yep, uh, yep. Monkey Prince issue 5 Multiversity 18 Justice issue 1 what's that? I don't remember what that's, that is that's, yeah no that's that's the um, uh, the the flash from that earth Ah, okay, okay. It's that one, yeah. Okay, I'll be honest, given that Andromeda and uh, Dark Crisis are starting, my chances of trying that one are probably a little slim, but we'll yeah. see how it goes. Uh, Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, issue one, and then Earth Prime 5, The Flash, is uh, out as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a little busier next week than I'd anticipated. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, out of the ones that I would cut, it'd probably be Flashpoint Beyond, too. Just because it's, you know, but we all know I'm a mark. Uh, and I'm going to end up reading it, so. Yes. Read the book, you effing mark. Yep, there you go. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm looking probably at Batman, Darius of Steel, Dark Crisis, Flashpoint Beyond, Killing Time, and uh, Andromeda is my definite reads. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to do the Pride issue, but it's 100 pages. Uh, I wish so. if they, I wish they, I know it's, it's June. I wish they had put it out on Tuesday, because uh, I would have read it for sure. Oh, in week five, yeah, it, yeah. it would have been easier to you know, fit in, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I mean, give Poison Ivy a try. Who's on Poison Ivy again? I forget. That's uh, G Willow Wilson. Oh and... yeah, well, I'll, I'll 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 try Ivy. Yeah. It's Wilson. I'll and try the Ivy. art, I'm drawing a blank. You know, that's been my phone background for months at this point. Um, let me see. Yeah. I feel bad not reading the Pride book, but I mean, Takara. not only is it on a relatively busy week, it's also that yeah. thing where, like, more and more I've been getting really annoyed at some of these uh, anthology books, mostly feeling kind of, you know, like a lot of them don't feel like full stories and I end up just feeling unfulfilled. And they're expensive for something that is unfulfilling. Yeah. Even even in this case, where it's like a, obviously a, a much better yeah. reason for existing. Uh, so say, uh, the covers for next week are, are very strong too. So you got a lot of good poison ivy. Um, you got you got Dark Knight the Steel with a dragon, but Monkey Prince is a is a is a Jaws parody. Um, 
not that. Yeah, but it's no Daniel LaRusso preparing the kick at the tip of the boat. <laughs> no, so it is, it is not. Uh, but yeah, that's what's coming next week. So uh, by all means, let us know what you're excited for in the comments and stuff. Uh, but I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month, uh, which is Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Treisman, and Alison M. Fordyce. Uh, they are all producers, which is one of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash TV. You can support the show for as little as $1 per month over there. And at the $5 tier, you get early access. You get it on Saturday night whenever it's ready, out the oven and ready to go uh, before the Sunday release. So if that's of interest and you want to support the content, please do. Uh, and of course, check out Mailfuzz TV and Mailfuzz Movies on YouTube for the TV reviews and the movie podcasts. Uh, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier, Alien vs. Predator Requiem was the last uh, Ace episode. Although by the time this goes out, uh, the next one should be up, which is uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, will be the newest episode but uh, uh, next week is Jurassic World 3 so you know mm-hmm. look forward to that Dominion yes Jurassic Park 6 Jurassic World 3 Dominion yeah. that's the full yep. title uh, I bought Fallen Kingdom this weekend because I haven't seen it since the theater because <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to relive the, the Brack uh, Brachiosaurus I think uh, yeah I've got it on iTunes I bought the yeah. bundle when it was like on sale so I, I got it really cheap for the whole yeah the whole oh I, yeah I got this Blu-ray you know with the digital you know for, for cheap too but I, I might just fast forward through that part because I do want to watch Fallen Kingdom again before but uh, it's it's legitimately the best part of the movie no, not emotionally. It it wrecked me to the point That's that the I point. Did, yeah, did it causes it. a reaction. Therefore, yeah. it's effective, and therefore, it is the best part right. of the movie. But when when the sad feelings happen, I can't. It just Fall, oh, Fallen Kingdom is this weird movie where the first like forty minutes is pretty rough and bad, yeah. and then they leave in the island is actually really good, and then after that, it's not good, but it's like the best type of B movie stupidity. Yeah, it's it's up there with Jurassic Park three. Right? So, like it's, so I would say yeah. most of the first half is bad. You have one genuinely good bit in the middle, and then you have fun bad in the second half. It it becomes a whole different thing, and I appreciate it for that. Right? Like it's you still have dinosaurs, but there's other elements involved that we haven't really gotten in Jurassic Park, and I, I appreciate it for that. But yeah, we're 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 gonna watch all. It's really funny how six. from the first Jurassic World to the second and the third. Just how everyone is just like turned on Chris Pratt yeah. <laughs> over time uh, to the point now where like no one wants to see him in it, and everyone's like, "Oh no, like we're yeah, done." We're I done. don't quite understand that. Um, I understand oversaturation's a thing, but you know, it's a, it's I, oversaturation. I mean, he's voicing Mario for goddamn. Sake. Yeah, I, I understand but, that, but, but like, it's not just that though. He, 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 yeah. It's like people have just kind of like soured on him as a person yeah. just because of some of these things in real life and. That's just kind of whatever, but uh, yeah. it's just fu- it's just funny how much like like he was pr- it's, it, part of the sad part is is that like all of his character like he has so much character in Parks and Rec he has so much uh, like to play with and so many of his characters in most of the movies he's been in, not counting Guardians, have all been these bland like generic Dude. you know yeah straight leading man dudes and yeah. it's been very dull so. Uh, I don't What's know. the movie he did with uh with with Jennifer Lawrence? Was that uh, uh Passengers? Or yeah, that's right. That that was the you know, uh, what's that called? Where where stuff starts to turn? Jumping the shark? <laughs> yeah, well that was the Harbinger. 
uh, <laughs> was that one. And then you have like the Tomorrow War. And, oh, you know, it was I terrible. Mean, Tomorrow I'm, War is let's, terrible. Let's just say I'm not seeing Dominion because Chris Pratt's in it, right? Uh, Rexy's the star, and then Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, but but yeah, uh, it's not Chris Pratt. It's it's the dinosaurs, as we all mm. know. Um, yes, and funnily enough, uh, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldwyn also are classed as dinosaurs now, so there's that. Yeah, uh, not Laura Dern. You, you leave that out your mouth. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just a joke, because they're all old now, man, yes. that's all. Yes, I know, but, you know, um, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, they're wearing it well, you know. So is Laura Dern. So, I, they all look good for age. I'm not, yeah. not dissing them at all. I don't want to admit that I'm feeling old by them, you know, doing the nostalgia run already. So, you know, that movie's almost 30 years old. I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, it's 30 years old next year. It's literally yeah. 29. It, yes. yes. I know, I know. So, I don't like to talk about it. In fact, Joe's making me feel a little bit old as I remember going to see the 20th anniversary showing in the theatre and that's almost 10 that, years That's ago. when they threw it up on IMAX, right? Ah, it was I. It was playing tons of places, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but because uh, I saw, I got a free ticket from my comic shop, and I, I saw it in the IMAX. The the fact that I uh, it's at, it's almost ten years since I went yeah. to the twentieth anniversary showing yeah. is making me feel weird, actually. But yeah, whatever. No, don't uh, like that. But yes, there you go. That is the show. That's been episode three hundred seven. Uh, you know, other than go to Patreon, like I, I pimped out there a minute ago. Uh, you can go. You can like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, share us, get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. All these things do help. Uh, share the show out, and of course, uh, mm-hmm. just generally enjoy the thing and enjoy comics and yada yada yada. Uh, so that that'll do it. That is episode three hundred seven. We'll be back next week with Dark Crisis issue one and some other juicy new books. So let us know in the comments what you thought of this week's books, and we'll see you then. Uh, So keep reading DC Comics, and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.